Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rainbird Rothman, and not going to lie, I'm uh, pretty excited today. You might say I'm fired up if we're to stay on brand, and why not? We're certainly an on-brand podcast that always lands its themes, its puns, and its jokes. All joking aside, though, we've got a new Stephen King movie to talk about, and wouldn't you know it, it's actually our first new Stephen King movie since, no lie, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep wow. haunted theaters oh, for a weekend really? in the fall of 2019. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been. A, we've had TV shows, but we haven't had movies. This is the first movie we've had in three years, almost three years. So thanks to the pandemic, uh, Doctor Sleep feels like it was 20 years ago, maybe even 40, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. But uh, anyway, we're here now. It's May of 2022, at least the last time I checked the calendar, and we're here to talk about Blumhouse and Universal's hotly anticipated new reimagining of Firestarter. And in classic LC fashion, we've got director Keith Thomas joining the club to talk about his new vision for the King book. But before we get to that, we've got a palaver, 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 palaver over the movie itself. And this wouldn't be a club without its share of losers. Joining me at my side, the first time we were recording, I think, in person since Sleepwalkers in 2020. Um, yeah. Randall, say hello and tell us in terms of degrees how hot you've been waiting for this movie. <laughs> Hey, this is Rock and Randall Colburn. I don't need to do a silly name because Burn is in my last name. Oh, that is so, true. So yeah, it's pretty pretty convenient there. Uh, the only other time we recorded in person together, Mike, was when we did the Losers, the nineteen ninety it kids reunion. That's true. Oh, that is true. We did do that afterwards. Yeah, so I forgot that was the fall of twenty. We are in person, which is great. But also, it's because I don't have internet at my new apartment yet, which is very frustrating. But uh, so I got to watch Firestarter at a coffee shop. Oh, nice! With the, I'm sure exactly as the intender, the director intended, with uh, you know, clanking glasses all around me oh, uh, and shitty pop music playing. <laughs> um, so yeah, how hot was I anticipating this? Not very, I have to say. Uh, you know, um, not quite the the cold chill of the undead, but slightly <laughs> more than that. Um, yeah, I, I can't say um, Firestarter is my favorite book or the 84 movie is something that I was ever really that into. And then I think, you know, ever since and we've been talking about this since like 2018 or whatever, uh, that Akiva Goldsman, Hollywood hack, noted Hollywood hack, Akiva Goldsman had his uh, <laughs> his dirty fingers all over this movie. Oh, we'll so, get to him. Yeah. so there was, uh, you know, so I had reservations from from way back. But I, I you know, I, I, I enter every one of these things with an open mind. You know, it's not like. When I was a kid, I loved the book Gerald's Game, but when the movie came out, it's probably one of my favorite King adaptations in the last uh, 20 years. So, I, uh, so you know, I, I'm always open-minded. Um, yeah, and you have a clean slate like yeah, Dana Carvey. Like Dana Carvey, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, I'm excited that we're going to be able to talk about this uh, together because I, I, w- I will say the last movie that new movie that we talked about, I think we were in person for Dr. Sleep yeah, we were. at that point. So that's exciting. But uh, I know this next voice... 
has been waiting <laughs> on pins and needles for this movie since it was announced. Down in Nashville, Jen, you've been a part of Lot 6 ever since uh, we heard that Firestarter is coming back. I know you're scorching for this film. What, what's, uh, what's your read on it? Yes. Um, hey, this is Jen Firestarter Adams. Um, and yes, I think I might be the person in the world that is the most excited for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I love, I, I say I love Firestarter. I really just love Charlie. Like I just, she's one of my favorite characters. I have some issues with the book and I don't particularly like the 84 um, adaptation. So I was really looking forward to like maybe a good adaptation, you know, Sorry, do y'all hear a weird beeping? Mm -mm. Nope. No, no, okay. no, no. Sorry. It must be the fires of my excitement for this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so I I remember I got this screener and I might have been one of the first people to see it because I know they're being really, they're not giving them out until um, almost release time. And I almost like, I didn't cry when I pushed play, but I was like so excited and really nervous because the last time I was this excited about a King adaptation, it was Carrie. And that oh, movie... Yeah. <laughs> Wait, the 2013 one? Yeah, I was oh, really man. excited. And man, it just tore my heart apart because that movie sucks. And yeah. it, like, I felt like betrayed. That sounds so overdramatic, but I was, I was wanting two things from this movie. I wanted it, one, to be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life, um, which I knew it probably wasn't going to be. But if it couldn't be that, I wanted it just not to break my heart by being terrible. And yeah. I got that. I'm happy with it. And we'll go into a, a lot of that, I'm sure. But yeah, I so will excited. Say, I got texts from you. This is how <laughs> yeah. I knew the screeners got sent out. Because my phone just lit up. And you're like, oh my God, I'm starting it. You know? So yeah. I was like, all right, I know that they're out now. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well, look, I dropped everything to push play on this thing. Well, I'm glad you're here because honestly, this wouldn't be a fire. What are they? What was it? Uh, Roosevelt had fireside chats. This wouldn't be a fire starter <laughs> chat on the Losers Club if you weren't involved in that. So that's, that's a little uh, history uh, joke <laughs> for all the historians out there. Uh, anyway, this wouldn't be a proper catat if there weren't four voices behind the mic. And we have a special guest with us uh, even before Keith Thomas arrives. Uh, Ashley, please introduce yourself and tell us if you're feeling the heat down in your soul. Uh, for a fire starter. <laughs> Hello, I am Ashley the Push Cassidy. Um, oh, nice. I, too, had very low expectations for this movie. I actually, though, the 1984 movie is, I, I was obsessed with it when I was younger. I was obsessed really? with, I mean, pretty much anything horror, though. I had one of the, those situations where my parents kind of, didn't care what I watched. I think their feeling behind it was like, if it scares her, she won't watch it, so it's fine. So <laughs> my house was the house that you went to in like fourth and fifth grade if you wanted to see Tales from the Crypt, totally. if you wanted to see Nightmare on Elm Street. And so I've I've been a Stephen King fan for a long time. It obviously started with movies because I would watch, actually one of my favorites growing up was Maximum Overdrive. Nice. And to this day is one of my favorite Stephen King movies, fueled uh -oh. by cocaine that. and gasoline. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Firestarter was, was huge for me growing up. And I didn't read the book until probably after college. I really liked the book too. Um, but I, I'm, I find myself constantly being disappointed by horror <laughs> movies. Welcome to the club. Um, so I, I remained very unenthusiastic about this one. But well, I was very I see, excited to watch it. 
I see behind you, it looks like there's a sign that says palm reader. Um, yes. Are you an escapee from lot six also? Yeah, uh, I sure ooh. am. Yeah, I was okay. I was born this way. No, I am. Um, this is my podcast studio. I actually host a podcast called Keep It Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually started the same year you guys did. We started in 2017. So we're on season six. Um, and just to plug that real quick, we basically take a weird topic and we talk about it every week, but we try and do something that we don't see other people um, doing. So, for example, you know, we've had we try and take a, a look at the weird aspects of everything. So we've had a sex episode and our our guest was a, a sex worker. We've had a human body episode. Our guest was a eunuch. Um, we've had mediums on the show. We've had deaf people on the show. It's really, really wonderful. Um, and for example, we, we recently talked about artificial intelligence. And when we talk about artificial intelligence, we do get to talk about novelists. We do get to talk about people like Stephen King and, and their take on artificial intelligence. But we also get to talk about real world AI, where we are with it, where we started with it, where we're going to go with it. And... Um, you know, in the future, kind of thinking about what is consciousness, will artificial intelligence have rights, and what's that going to look like for us, um, and will it happen in our lifetime? So that's just kind of like a basic breakdown of like how we approach these subjects, and we have talked quite a bit about the CIA's um, awesome, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. testing on uh, real humans, whether they were aware of it or not quite a bit so i'm sure you guys have talked about that on this show as well yeah you know we've we've definitely we're actually coming off of um quite a run when it comes to us talking about government cover-ups co- yeah. you know, conspiracies. Uh, conspiracies and whatnot and uh um, well, yeah we did uh we did hearts in atlantis yeah. which um you know oh, yeah. is his book about college in the 60s and then we did Dreamcatcher, and you know that book obviously is is about aliens and, mm-hmm. and government cover-ups and stuff so yeah we, we have a section we have a series called souls midnight that's available for our patrons patreon.com slash the barons <laughs> and i and that's where we yeah the last <laughs> couple we we've we've kind of talked about government distrust as it exists in king's works and beyond and uh and measuring that up against sort of um where king's at now and his political journey which he likes to post about on twitter so those are fun episodes and uh check those out but yeah and also check out ashley's podcast ashley and i know each other from way back we went to college way together and so it was uh very exciting for us to reconnect in this way yeah it's really exciting that we're finally able to do it because I, I know that we've we have been on the same paths since 2017 and we've always kicked around ideas to having a collaboration oh for sure so i'm so and, glad and it's finally happening <laughs> for 2022's Firestarter. Yeah. so you know um, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, maybe we should wait for when we talk about the powers to kind of get into some of your findings with, uh, you know, um, MK ultra and, and, and whatnot, but, um, we should probably get into the history of this movie because, you know, there's not much to go into, but there's a little bit and we got to go there in a place that I like to call and that this film doesn't like to call the shop. <laughs> Surrender. Charlie? Daddy. No one gets hurt. All right. Well, in the shop, we're going to discuss the production and crew of the film. So I'm going to do a little bit of a rundown, uh, kind of catch us up to speed. And I got some uh, I got a breakdown for us to go to. So but first, the rundown directed by Keith Thomas, as we discussed. Screenplay by Scott Teams, who we'll definitely discuss in a second. Cinematography by Karim Hussein 
a, a Canadian filmmaker who actually has a lot of credits to his name, everything from Hobo with a Shotgun to We Are Still Here to Brandon Cronenberg's work, uh, which uh, antiviral and last year's Possessor. So he's got a great eye. And uh, music by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies, who we'll definitely talk about that in just a second. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a Blumhouse Universal picture, and it's 94 minutes, which we'll also discuss. And uh, it's being released today. When you're listening to this, it's been released on uh, Peacock uh, and also in theaters. And I will say it's interesting too, because we've you know we've kind of hinted and talked a little bit about the 84 version, but it came out. It, it came out the same week that the 84 version came out in, uh, you know, in 84. So how about that? Um, really? but there's, yeah, it's, it's because today is when we're recording, this is actually the anniversary of the 84 one. So, so yes, we will be spoiling wow. the movie. Those, We're going to be spoiling yeah. both movies. So if you haven't watched it yet, just go log into Peacock <laughs> or head your local theater and go and see the Zac Efron movie. Um, but let me catch you up on where we're at, because, uh, you know, as, as Randall mentioned, Akiva Goldsman was attached to this and still is in, in, in a way. Um, but out of all the King projects that were announced at the beginning of the King Renaissance of 2017, it's kind of interesting to see that this was one that managed to pretty much stay on target for the most part. Uh, it was announced in April of 2017. Um, and as Randall hinted before, we were pretty scared about it when we started the podcast because uh, Akiva Goldsman was attached to direct. Um that didn't happen. So uh, in June of 2018, Universal and Blumhouse announced that German film director uh, Fatih Akin would take over, uh, maybe because the Dark Tower uh, kind of shit the bed the prior year. Who knows? Akiva, Akiva's fingers, dirty fingers were all over They're like, the Dark uh, Tower as well. Back off, Akiva. No. Um, so they, they, they bring in uh, Fatih and they also uh, hire Scott teams to kind of rewrite the script. And you know, Fat Fatih Akin was, was sort of a, a shocking... Uh, choice at the time because he was coming off his movie The Golden Glove, yeah. which made a splash. I, I think at TIFF or something. Yeah. And that and Caffrey watched it and he talked about it. It's like it's like incredibly violent. Yeah. yeah, like deeply, deeply, deeply violent and sadistic. And so I remember being like, oh shit, like that is a big, big, big turn. And I imagine though that that's probably why he left the project. <laughs> probably because in uh, yeah, I mean in December 2019, right before the world shut down, he kind of bailed and Keith Thomas was brought in and announced. And it's kind of interesting too because the Vigil, which is his big breakthrough film, uh, didn't land until last year. So. You know, he gets this job right before that. And I think a lot of us at the time, and I'm sure in one of our past Needful Tweets episodes, we talk about this. Um, we were kind of like, wait, who's this guy? Um, uh, but we'll talk about him in just a second. Um, but anyway, you know, the, the pandemic, as I just mentioned, didn't really help things. So they didn't even start shooting this thing until uh, last May, literally a year ago, almost a year ago in Toronto and Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, shooting didn't wrap until July 16th. So they got this one out pretty fast. But we'll talk a little bit more about the shoot with Keith Thomas later on in our interview. So let's just kind of break this down by the three things that we always break things down in our... This is called the shop, but really it's the dairy public library. This is our <laughs> section that we always talk about the history, but that's what it is. So anyway, did you know Breakdown the song was nominated for an Oscar? Wait, for Beverly the Hills Cop too? No, oh, okay. no. Although that song also should have been nominated. Yeah, for, for an Driven. Oscar. No, who is it? A Bob Seger? Oh no, Breakdown? I think it was Bob Seger. For was Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, except for an Oscar. It's, uh, it's a. I actually been wanting to watch uh, Bev Bev two. It holds up. It's good. You love it because uh, Gilbert Godfrey. It's one of the funniest scenes ever been put to film. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> all, right, but, uh, all right, yeah, yeah. seriously. Um, well, wish we had Gilbert Gottfried in Firestarter. I know. Yeah. What's with all this fire? <laughs> um, you know. Uh, all 
right, well, we got three things to talk about here. We got to talk about the direction, the screenplay, and the score. This little bitch burned my hand. What the hell's going on? She's setting off trees. Sorry. Stupid lines. Um, R.I.P. It would be amazing if that was his swan song. It's like, well, oh, you know, hell. Gilbert Gottfried, he left us, but his uh, final swan song project will be coming out in May, uh, Firestarter. He plays annoyed Stephen old man King's who gets his hand Firestarter. burned. Yeah. He plays Dr. Wandless. Um, Blow things up with her mind. You gotta kill her. You're gonna have to kill her. Um, all right, let's talk about Keith Thomas. I'm a big fan of him, I, and not because we have him on today, um, but I've talked a lot about this on the show and on Halloweenies. Uh, I really love The Vigil. I, this is probably, it was probably my favorite film, um, a horror film of 2021. One of my favorite films last year also. So I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm big on his style. I like his eye for horror. And for me, he's really been the hook uh, since they first, you know, since I, managed to see the vigil and saw that and connected the dots and was like, wow, he's directing Firestarter. Now I'm excited. Um, anyone see the vigil? Yeah. yeah. Love the vigil. Yeah. I watched I it the good. day I got boosted and fell asleep halfway through, not because of the movie, because of it the, is a little because slow, you got boosted. Yeah, not, <laughs> because yeah, I got boosted. I was going to say, not a great movie for, um, yeah, for, for that. <laughs> a little quiet. It's on Hulu, you know? right? Yeah, it's uh, it's on Hulu and it's it's really worth watching if you haven't seen it, just because it's a uh, it's a tight film. We don't get a lot of those these days, and uh, it actually has like a POV, like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ashley, did you get to see it? Um, I the, here's the thing: the only time I got to see it was at a party. Okay, so mm-hmm. did not a party I get to movie see either. it? No. <laughs> yeah, okay, I did. Not. <laughs> so, so, so we've all kind of seen it, mm-hmm. but we've two of us have actually it's been watched on my it list in a perfect for, setting. What two years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 worth it. It's a it's a it's a little slow at points, but I like that about it because it kind of immerses you. That never you, bothers me. It really shouldn't, and it's uh. It's really it, creepy, if what it's from creepy. what I remember, which is yeah. like I'm craving that kind of horror, you know, like that is something behind me kind of feel, you know. Well, it's a total 180 from this because mm-hmm. and we talk about this in the ep- on the interview, but you know, it's a very self-contained you know film you know it's yeah. all in one location it's all in a, an apartment in um i believe in uh williamsburg brooklyn um but so it's kind of a 180 here uh and i wanted to ask you know f- from us that have seen it and kind of seen it what are our takeaways from uh keith's direction here what do you what did you make out of the out of his eye for for firestarter at least well it, i like that it you know there was a lot of cgi obviously but i've seen a lot of movies where it's like if there's fire all of it CGI. Yeah, I was going to say there was a lot less CGI than I anticipated, which I'm a huge stickler for. I'm I'm very anti CGI, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, and obviously some of their, you know, if she's throwing fireballs, like you kind of, I mean, just for safety's sake, you under I understand the CGI, but but yeah, there was a lot of practical fire in here that I thought was cool, and you know, there was a slower pace, um, which. I think can be a benefit. I'm not sure it was here, yeah. but because uh, I think my biggest problem with this movie is I found long stretches of it to be pretty boring. Um, and I don't necessarily blame Keith Thomas for that. Uh, and we could talk more about that later. But, but yeah, there's like a groundedness to it. Like this didn't feel um, like I think it was at war with itself sometimes because some stuff did feel f- really grounded. And then there also seemed like there was this effort to superhero fi the movie, yeah. which mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about later. Uh, 
Ashley, what about you? What, what did you uh, take away from his direction here? Well, you know, when I first turned on the movie and it said it was 90-something minutes, I was like, yes! Because yes. the the worst like thing for me is when I turn on a movie and it's like, this movie's three and a half hours long mm-hmm. and there's no reason for it to be three and a half hours long. But my one of my biggest issues, though, is that I actually needed, I wanted more yeah. to this story. I needed more time with the characters. And so I think that the 90 minute runtime where it's really great, especially for like people who, you know, are busy, it's really wonderful. Um, I actually found myself needing that extra half hour to- Yeah, and Mike said the same thing to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely need. this should have been a 110 minute movie. And I don't know if mm-hmm. things, yeah. I mean, I looked up and the runtime- And I never run say time, that, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I looked up the runtime to the original cause I was like, well, how long was that? And it was like a hundred and- 14 minutes or something. And yeah. I yeah, thought that, that, two hours. that was kind of the perfect amount of time we needed to spend with these characters to, to get what we needed out of it. And um, it really, I don't know if things were cut um, in, you know, the final edit or what, but yeah, I really needed that extra half hour. Yeah. Cause there's a point in this film, because I really do appreciate the patience of it, and especially in the family setting of just getting an idea of you know where things are. Because one of the things I love about the vigil is that he really likes to show instead of tell. Like yeah. he kind of lets his characters and his and their actions kind of uh, you know dictate the narrative a little bit there. And he, I could tell that he you know he tries to do that in the beginning here. You know, we get a little bit time with the you know the characters in the family, which Jen, I know you were a big fan of too, is just to yeah, be able yeah. to see more of you know. Vicky, Andy, mm-hmm. and Charlie. The yeah. first um, half hour, I legitimately was like, they're doing it. Me too. Yeah. They're doing it. <laughs> and know. then I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it fell off for me. I think probably at the uh, ranch house, the farmhouse. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, truly the first 30 yeah. minutes of this movie, I was like, perfection. It's totally. Perfect. And I think those are like the, the more intimate, like conversation mm-hmm. driven sections yeah. of the story. And it's when like the incident at the Manders farm is like, I, that's when the story needs to really explode and yeah. start to get really big. And it just never gets as big as I want it to be. And like, I think about like even the scene with Charlie in the car where she's talking to that guy, like I found that effective because it's like a really intimate enclosed scene and i wonder if that's just more of a strength of keith thomas well you think about you think about movies like poltergeist and like the the reason that that movie is a classic isn't because of the skeletons jumping out of the pool and the monster Mm -hmm. it's because for the first 40 minutes of that movie we get a little girl kind of sliding across the floor and we get some like Mm -hmm. static on the tv but we really get to love this family and we understand how they work together and we understand their relationships and it's beautiful and i Mm -hmm. think that the um, 1984 movie and obviously the book did a really good job of that um, and this was just it, it felt rushed to me I, I still didn't really understand what how Charlie felt about Andy really yeah. even yeah. And I, in the end and I think that's a problem with the script which is why we got to bring we got to talk about I got to bring up Scott teams yeah because this is a guy who's I'm been sure around you've for a while I'm a lot I on have Halloweenies I have which is <laughs> and it's hard because you know when the roots of his career are great. Like I, he, you know, he, he wrote like multiple episodes of one of my favorite shows, which was Rectify. Yeah. And which is an incredible show, like really, really great drama, really, really well paced show. And um, with, a, with just a lot of like stoicism and patience. And then he goes and does Halloween Kills, which 
I mean, you can go and listen to the four hour episode that we have on Halloweenies, <laughs> but I, I consider it one of the worst movies of all, of all time. Like, I'm not, I'm, I know that's hyperbole. It's, it's awful. It's just awful. And he did. I have co- fun. Uh huh. <laughs> I, I had fun with with just poking fun at it for and, sure. Because at this point, at this point, I mean, I think it was around forty five minute mark of of um, actually no, it was the five minute mark of Halloween twenty eighteen where I realized this is just never going to be what I w- would ever want from this this series yeah. anymore. Like they're just going to keep you know going and making mistakes for it. But the thing I noticed here that he did also with Halloween Kills is that you know when he's not being patient and just allowing the characters to breathe as Keith Thomas wants you can tell with the, the, especially in that first half, it's just very blunt, like A to B plotting. Mm-hmm. And that's what Halloween Kills does at its worst because at some point in Halloween Kills, I remember turning to, it was probably Justin, I was like, like th- this is like literally just like a bunch of Twitter accounts walking around and tweeting like what they're thinking and saying with their themes, the purpose of what the, the scene has to be. And writers and, should not be allowed to be on social media. No, they really shouldn't. But it, it just, it just I felt so A to B to Z. And I felt like the, the last 45 minutes of this movie, it's almost as if teams was like, Oh fuck, I have to adapt the book still. Yep, so yeah. let me get to it. And I mean, he chops out like, huge sections of the story in service of getting to an ending that i mean i'm not lying like I, for me it just felt like the last 45 minutes is gasping yeah it's just g- gasping for air mm-hmm. um, well and not to mention i mean there were some changes made i don't know if we should talk about that now um yeah, go to for the it. story go that at first i thought oh how interesting for example rainbird having powers Yes. I thought, oh, well, okay. When it first happened, I was like, all right, I can get on board with this. Let's see where they take it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it ended up being, you know, an X-Men movie where mm-hmm. it was like, oh, hmm, that's not what I wanted. Especially when I don't know what, I don't know what Rainbird wanted. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Did he get paid? The first was draft it character. Yes. Was mm-hmm. it like, what did he want? And I honestly, I didn't really know what Cap wanted either. Like no one mentions, uh, you know, a lot of the the book and the the 1984 film talk about weaponizing her, uh, yeah. which is exactly what the military industrial complex would do. And I was I was sort of finding myself like, okay, so are they afraid to to be anti-military? Are they? Mm-hmm. What's the choice here? Yeah. I still didn't know when the movie ended what Cap's ambitions were if she at one point i was like maybe she does want to help charlie like i don't know i don't right. know right yeah. there was such a hesitation mm-hmm. to incorporate the shop totally and mm-hmm. and kind of explicitly lay out what they're up to yeah. you know like they they glance and dance around the idea that this is a government operation and they touch you know a little bit at the beginning about the experiments which are wildly underdeveloped because to me that's such an important part of mm-hmm. the book is the actual experiments and the memories that they have we kind of just get it in the title sequence and yeah there there just seemed to be this trepidation and this fear to like uh lean into the paranoia of you know, bad government actors. Yeah, maybe um, the government and, isn't always out to help us. Like yeah. they say. Yeah, like I like I like Cap was uh, was such a confused character to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I feel like they it's I felt like both her and Rainbird were both first draft characters in that and some interesting ideas and they're they're starting to figure out the character, but they're not fully there yet. Rainbird, especially, and I'm sure we can talk more about that later because 
some man i was like kind of excited when he got introduced i'm like okay this like yeah. they're they're playing with some new stuff here i like this actor mm-hmm. and then uh and i texted mike i was like rainbird's rainbird's cool then you were just like don't get your hopes yeah. up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well that, that and that's what sucks because it's it just feels as if they're the x-men's an interesting thing because i i feel like there is like a a war here between a movie that we're given from the interim mm-hmm. to what we eventually are dropped into by the end. I mean, Jen, you know the yeah. story back and forth. What do you, I mean, they did, they certainly condense a lot of events in the last 45 minutes of this movie. I mean, would you say that some of the excisions work, but, you know, ultimately and the whole just can't land it? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think I like if there were like maybe 20 more minutes, like we were saying, because I feel like my biggest problem with the ending is it just feels like there are big pieces of the puzzle missing. And like, I really want to be on board for what is going on with Rainbird. But like Ashley said, I don't know what he really wants. Um, we really don't know who he is. Um, because it just his turn between villain and suddenly he's just giving himself up is so abrupt and like I don't know what they were trying to go for with this once you see her you'll understand thing like I feel like that was that felt just really yeah. overwrought well, you know I wonder in if, the, oh sorry go ahead Ashley no I was gonna say I wonder if that had to do with you know in the book he was so obsessed with Charlie because yep. to him mm-hmm. she represented this like spiritual being that his ancestors were once in touch with you know right. and he sort of like that there was that connection which i thought right. was really fascinating him being a native american and mm-hmm. maybe that was i think that's what well, yeah, it they, probably is but they no, yeah. they didn't say anything like yeah, that it was right. like he and and to for him to be the one that kills vicky too I felt like yeah. that was a huge turn because he, like he doesn't really come into the story until after that's already happened in the book. And so for him to go and it's more not necessarily that I couldn't get on board with where he was going. It's that it felt like such a big 180 to coming mm-hmm. in, about holding a knife to Charlie's throat, killing Vicky. Yeah. And then suddenly like I like the forgiveness thing, but it's just like it needed more room to breathe. Yeah, but why? He worships her like a god, like in right. the like in the well in the book it's more malevolent there's i yeah. didn't we almost didn't we also talk about there was almost like a pedophilic tone to the yeah, way he sure. looked yeah. at her in the book yeah yeah definitely there was something starter too yeah oh, God, yeah yes. <laughs> and um and this he was a more pure character which i was i was down with because there yeah. was the implication that he was you know they say he was used he was and abused by the shop yeah. yeah and he was a victim of it and uh but then they didn't justify why he would return and then they didn't justify why he would kill this woman in cold blood yeah. and then they didn't justify his turn and that he like because it's not even as if he saw the full extent of charlie's powers like if that's what humbled him totally. because then at the end he bends towards her like she is a god and she spares him and then um and those are all like interesting beats mm-hmm. with no justification no. right <laughs> yeah it's just there's oh. nothing in between yeah. yeah it just it just really does feel like they weren't able to sort of reconcile the two different movies that they wanted to make mm. because i think the again I, th- I just think the first half does feel like what i would have expected from a keith thomas movie and the second half it just doesn't like it just you know they're just it, it honestly feels in more in tandem with the Firestarter 2 that you just mentioned uh Jen, because yeah. I, I, I like even aesthetically like aesthetically mm-hmm. the whole first half has these 
like wonderful lived in environments. Like the house is really cool. The, the, um, the coach, uh, or the, the farmhouse that they go to all of these places look real and like actual locations that they're shooting. Even at. the Even school. Like, yeah, yeah. And the school mm -hmm. too. And like, I really appreciate that. And it had kind of like almost like a late seventies tone to it and aesthetic to like, even like the lighting and the low lighting that, 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 uh, Keith Thomas certainly carried over from the vigil. It's just that second half. I honestly felt like it was a totally different movie. Yeah. Like even, even the, down to the shop, like, I, I think I wrote, I was joking with Sam. I was like, I was like, okay, there's a blue hallway and, <laughs> and like this one security guard that's like clear. It just felt also like a real COVID movie. Like, oh, yeah. we can only have four people on set. Yep. We got one person mm -hmm. here for the shop. Like, it just didn't feel like there was a lot of, um, it just didn't feel fully realized in that second. I half. also was got very excited. Okay. So when Charlie starts opening all of the doors at the shop, I was like, are we about to have a cabin in the woods style Same. fucking psi <laughs> yes. powers war on our Christine hands? Drives out I, of like, <laughs> <laughs> I got so pumped. Beep, beep. And then uh -huh. one person came out and it was Rainbird. And I was like, well, why show us opening all of these doors? I was totally. expecting... Something also, why did wild. they arrest Rainbird too? Yeah, like, that was weird. Yeah. Like he felt he felt like I think they were trying to set up that he was he had an adversarial relationship with the shop, but it wasn't developed. Yeah, but like, like we why? didn't know what what was complex about the <laughs> no, relationship. No. Um, can I just say, well, you since you brought up yeah. the shop's design, um, I could not stop laughing because the shop with its purple and blues literally remind it was like designed this lit and designed the same way as like my niece's dance recitals. <laughs> like I, I could not stop fucking laughing. I was like, this is supposed to be the scary shop, you know? It's yeah. like uh, but I, okay, I Jen, I have a question for you because you're the fire starter expert. And this is a question that was nagging at me. And, you know, I've read the book twice, but it's been, you know, since we did it on the pod. And, yeah. 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 And I haven't um, seen the movie in, in a long time. What is the, how would you characterize the nature of Charlie's and uh, Andy's like talents in the book? Like what, what I know um, Andy has the capacity to use his mind to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. um, and then Charlie, I guess I was always under the impression that she had the power of, of pyrokinesis and that she could manifest fire psychically. But yeah. did she also have psychic powers? Um, yes and no. I think she has like pyrokinesis, but also telekinesis as like a, a factor of that, you know, kind of how like Carrie overlaps with pyrokinesis in kind of just a functional sure. way. But like um, Carrie couldn't read people's minds. No. And so no. Can, and Charlie could... has insight. Like in the Manders farm, she senses that they're coming in the book. Gotcha. But the big change, one of the big changes here was one, that Vicky and Andy both had powers before Lot 6. Mm -hmm. yeah. And two, right. that Charlie like explicitly inherited their powers because she is not able to push in the book. She's not able to like explicitly have like telepathic powers with people so that was a change and I actually I kind of liked that you know I thought yeah, genetic you know That's make her as powerful as, as you can that's where I really struggled because well if they had powers before the experiments then what's the point of the experiments necessarily well, to unlock it or to, enhance it to amplify. okay yeah and so like it, they were random like they just signed up in the first book but i guess here they it's implied that they sought them out they were know? targeted okay yeah. yeah this just muddies it up for me mm -hmm. uh, i i feel like if there's one thing king had was a clear idea of what the powers are mm -hmm. uh in this movie i kind of got like ms mrs M wait what is it captain marvel vibes where she can just do anything yeah and there's like nothing really and so in that sense 
there is, uh, I, I, I kept writing down, this is a word I hammer all the time and I apologize for saying it again, but there is just this general flattening of the characters by virtue of like, Andy can not only manipulate a hundred dollar bill, you know, or like manifest a hundred, a hundred dollar bill into a guy's hand and, and manipulate them that way. He can also make like time and space, like alter the fabric of time and space and make Charlie disappear. Yeah. So Rainbird can't see her. Well, I, and, and I then, think he's making in his mind, like he, he didn't make her invisible, but he like made, right. He made yeah. Rainbird not able to he see made right. her invisible to Rainbird, which that to me is, seems like, too much of a power <laughs> for him to have also, and then because that's wild because that's powerful. Like professor x like yeah that's level. professor yeah, x yeah. shit and then um and then charlie not only can manifest fireballs she can read people's minds and and i just kind of got this vibe where um like they can do everything mm -hmm. and this is very much like superhero culture i feel like creeping in where it's yeah. like whatever's convenient to the plot this character can do that yeah and yeah. i think that's where things started to get a little bit muddy for me because i feel like andy was in a lot of ways defined by his limitations mm -hmm. in the book i mean he had powers but he could only use like he could just convince a cab driver to take them somewhere he couldn't make guards fall to their knees or whatever or if, or if he could it wasn't it wasn't on the level that we saw here yeah the only and the only yeah. times he would do something major were like big moments like when when uh charlie gets kidnapped which they kind of showed in the in the uh this movie but she was an infant i believe in the book she's she's still a little girl they actually yeah. capture her at one point two men come and mm -hmm. get her and uh i think in the book andy makes one of them think their gun is like a thousand degrees and it burns his hand yes. and he makes yeah. the other guy think he's blind but mm -hmm. I actually liked what they did in the movie. How they were like, true. when your partner cool comes scene. back, yeah. you're going to shoot him in the chest and then you're going to forget how to breathe. I was like, that is so <laughs> badass. I know. Yeah, that very shit. cool yeah. scene. I just struggle with this sort of like, I, when I feel I like agree. they can do anything, I feel like the the characters become devalued, the story becomes devalued. It's the general flattening where we're we're not getting nuanced characters, we're no. just getting characters who can do whatever's convenient in the moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, so I think that's a script problem, obviously. And uh where obviously where I think most of my problems with this come back. To yeah, the it really does come back to the script for me because I feel like you could, I guess the question here is, could this have worked at 90 minutes? Like what would we take out to make it work for 90 minutes? Because I, I do appreciate a 90 minute movie. I like a 90 minute movie. Like that's, give me more 90 minute movies, but can you have a Firestarter movie be 90 minutes? I, I think they would I have know. to immediately start on the road at, at the very least. I've right? been writing like five different pieces about Firestarter in general in the past couple of weeks. So I've been thinking about this a lot and like what I really wanted. And I said, like, I think you can take away some of the scenes between Rainbird and Cap in the original movie um, yeah. and focus more on Charlie and focus more on her relationship with Vicky. I wanted her to be a lot more present, but I think, you know, they maybe answered my wish too much and they took out a enough like the stuff that disconnected everything you know so no I don't I, I really don't think so because I wouldn't want to take any of the first part of the movie out that's what made me really love the movie you know I was really on board for that I you know so no not, not you, you know on that note though for the rainbow thing I, I think that they they tried to have their cake and eat it too by having Rainbird have the heel turn. Because if you don't have Rainbird have the heel turn, I think you can make the 90 minute cut work a little bit better. Well, if because... you don't have Rainbird, you could too, you know? Yeah, like, you that's don't true. You need him. Yeah, not or for if this he's just story. strictly a villain. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, well, if he was just an agent, that's going to get that, you know, a, a, he's, he's really good at hunting or, you know, he's able yeah. to get, you know, capture. 
and that's it. And we don't have to have the nuance that requires that's required for that heel turn, which is ultimately like the biggest like, uh, what? what? Because the, the 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 final shot is literally him carrying her away, right. and so you need to build up towards that moment to earn that moment, and this movie just doesn't have enough room for that. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they just went full villain with him, would this movie work better? She could have easily like, just walked off on the beach by herself. Yeah. True. For totally. me. Like could, could have gotten a canoe. Matter. I almost felt like they were setting up a sequel. Oh yeah, they yeah. could be. I mean, everything which might be, today. which might be more Probably interesting than what we got. <laughs> yeah. Like I'd be into that. I'd like, watch it. Is, yeah. if they, they can fix some of the problems of this movie. Like, because those were the two most interesting characters, I think yeah. were, you know, Charlie and Rainbird for me. And like, I even said to Mike, I'm like, I would like a movie that, I don't know, like, and this is me because I love bad guys, but like, I, I almost wanted the movie that centered around Rainbird, mm-hmm. like make yeah. him and Charlie the main characters and focus less on the family. Um, but He's I do see the value prequel. in the- yeah, I'd see the value in the family stuff. But for me, I was personally less interested in that than I was sort of her relationship with her adversaries. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's I, talk about let's talk about one more character yeah. uh, behind the scenes. that's really important to, to because because we're starting to get really chiseled into the, the actual heroes and villains here. So before we do that, let's talk about uh, one hero that's created many villains for us. Uh, John Carpenter. <laughs> mm. um, don't think he needs much introduction. Uh, he's pretty much the other master of horror not stephen king but he was a late surprise because uh if you recall from our breakdown episode uh breakdown like we did we talked about the uh the jonathan master movie no we i'm talking about the the breakdown of the trailer we were surprised to see that john carpenter was attached to this uh for you know composing the score and uh that's a huge hook at least for me because it gave the movie a lot of credibility i felt like it didn't 100 percent but it also, it's like a nice little nod to King history because, you know, he and was, we go deeper into this in our Firestarter episode, but he was supposed to do the original one. Yeah. And so for him to be able to come back and have his own signature in here, I think it's pretty special. Um, but what do we make of the score? Loved uh, it. You loved, loved it? Loved every minute yeah. of it. Honestly, that was the one thing that I was like, at least I know the score is going to be incredible. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it- Ashley, what's your favorite Carpenter movie? Christine. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> I love Christine so much. The first time I did mushrooms, I was watching Christine. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great so that's score a for a very special too. place in my heart, and the score uh-huh. is incredible. Um, so yeah, that's great probably great bully. <laughs> my God, I'm a sucker for that movie. Yeah, and book. they. So it's so good. Yeah, so that's probably my favorite. Movie. But honestly, uh, they're all great. I mean, the fog is probably number two. Again, the score is incredible. I could just listen yeah. to that music, just have it playing all the time. And I oh, actually did not listen. I know a lot of people I've been seeing in like different horror movie groups and stuff have been listening to this score prior to the movie coming out. And I specifically abstained from listening to the score before the movie came out because I kind of wanted to experience for the first time while watching. Uh, I wish I would have done that. I, I really wish I would have done that because I, I listened to the score ahead of time and I'm... Look, I'm not to toot my own horn, but I am in the 0.005% uh, fan club for John Carpenter on Spotify. So my whole life is soundtracked by Carpenter all the time. So I, I was a little, I, I think I like texted uh, uh, Justin Gerber um, and I was like, I'm not really, I don't know if I'm feeling the score too much because I felt that there's a lot of Halloween, Halloween and Halloween kills in this <laughs> with like the propulsive beats and the muscular things. But with watching the movie, it's the slow, tranquil stuff that I really fucking love yeah. in this. Like it, it, it adds so much depth, especially in scenes where we don't, especially in towards the end when we don't really have that. It's like the, the, 
he is really doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, Randall, I know you, you are a huge carpenter head. Um, what, what did you think about the score? I liked it. Yeah. I, it gave some weight to certain scenes. I like the fight between rain bird and rain bird. I don't know why I said it like that. Rain uh, and, um, bear. And, uh, who, what's the name of the mom? Sorry. Vicky. Victoria. Vicky. Yeah. Vicky. Yeah. Vicky. I liked that. I liked the way the sort of, you know, weight kicked in. Like it had a real, it gave a real weight to that. I almost wanted it to, to go a little bit longer. I felt like the fight sort of fizzled out, uh, you know, no, not, uh, no pun intended, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was a big fan of the score and I, I just feel, I almost feel though that the, there was too much, like I have these moments of dissonance when I listen to modern Carpenter music set against, um, cause it still feels like the eighties to me. Yeah. When I see it set against modern films, it almost feels incongruous sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for me, there needs to be a certain graininess to the stock for like it, for it to really hit. Uh, but that's like my own little nitpick, but I thought the music was great. I'm going to well, listen to it. But yeah. on that note, that's why I think the intro was so good. Yeah. It's like yes. with that, that, that credits, because I was, that's when I was incredible. the most in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, got it. Cause it just I, felt like know, I was watching his. I version. agreed with what you guys said about how, you know, you wanted to see more of the tests, the lot six testing, because it really is important to the story. But I kind of, as I watched it, I was like, okay, like, you know, this, this is an appropriate way to kind of mm-hmm. get you caught up as to why Charlie is the way that she is. We can do that th- through the credits. Sure. I thought maybe there would be more flashbacks and there wasn't, but that's fine. Um, I did yeah. appreciate the eyeball. Did anyone catch yes. the ah. eyeball? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> plop, plop on the Loved board. the yep. eyeball. Uh, for anyone who's listening who does <laughs> did not read the book, one of the lot six um, uh, patients gouges out his own eyes. And part they, of the book for me. it's terrifying. And they convince Andy afterwards that he was just tri- tripping on drugs and it didn't really mm. happen, but it absolutely did. Um, uh. But I don't know. <laughs> the, w- w- <laughs> I was trying to like bring in the score with the opening credits. It was incredible. And like you said, with like the graininess, I think that's why it worked so well because the credits yeah. were filmed as that grainy 70s and the, the flashbacks were all that way. And I was also excited when, when Zac Efron, when Andy takes Charlie and they leave the house, even the car they're driving is like from the 80s. You know what I mean? Like, even though they're talking about Wi-Fi and everything and they added that little caveat that um, her and her family live like Amish people. Mm -hmm. I liked that. But then that's kind of as far as it went Mm -hmm. with that retro style. Well, I liked the the time that I really noticed it was the scene where she's on the bikes and she takes the bikes from the kids, which is a kids on bikes 80s kind of feel also, you know, and that's when I was like, okay, we're going, we're going, you know, I. (laughs) have a hard time believing she just biked to the shop that quickly, but (laughs) But I'm still down for it. I guess that's a big elephant in the room. And I I, I bring this up with, uh, yeah, I mean, she's magic. Yes. (laughs) Huge carpet of fire coming in. It's like, there she's, there she is. There she is. Oh my God. Um, Don't tempt me with a good (laughs) But I guess the big elephant in the room, and it's something I brought up with uh, Keith Thomas is just stranger things. And I wonder if they, and I tried to see if I could get an answer from him on this, but, um, he actually has a really good answer in response to the whole Stranger Things thing. But when I, my theory with them not doing the test is that is that it's so ingrained in Stranger Things now mm-hmm. that I think mm-hmm. I, I did wonder if like they're like, well, if we can get rid of this, that takes a lot of the comparisons away because it does. Yeah. Like, I mean, we do when you think about the imagery of Stranger Things, we're at a point now where it's art imitating art and like all of the stuff that Eleven goes through and endures in Stranger Things, especially in season one and 
um, you know, I, I haven't seen season four yet. I can't wait, but it looks like we're going to be getting a little bit more of that. I'm thinking that maybe they're like, well, maybe we could avoid this if we don't have her in the, you know, in a tank or if we don't have the wires on her head and, you know, that kind of kind of stand away on its own. I still wish you could have gotten some more tests. Like you could do original tests that have, that don't look aesthetically like Stranger Things at all. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that theory stands, but. Um, well, even in the uh, 1984 movie, they didn't do any of the, did they? Did they put anything on her head? Little suctions on her head? They had her in like yeah, a bedroom, the, you know, yeah. for most of She's it. Got, she was like watching a TV and she didn't really know mm -hmm. that things. She was also very, uh, a lot younger. Um, yeah. So they were able to kind of be like, this is where you live now. Isn't that great? And you have this nice mm -hmm. janitor who brings you treats. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't that fine? Not creepy at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, ch the changeling actor, George C. Scott. Uh, <laughs> who is one of my favorite parts. I love him. You know what I remember always yeah. remember from the Firestarter book was that she had HBO in yes. her thing, but uh -huh. they but it was called home box office back then. And that's what it's called throughout Firestarter, yeah. which is just funny to me. Yeah. Like just the idea of, oh, well, I get to watch home box home office. Box office. Yeah. <laughs> I always I always think of uh, when it, whenever the, you know, the, the channel debate comes in, it's like a night at the Roxbury. And it's just like, oh, you know, he's fine back there in the guest house. It's like, he's got Cinemax, but he doesn't have HBO. <laughs> I will say <laughs> we didn't have HBO when I was a kid and I was jealous of everyone who did. So I remember reading Firestarter and being jealous. I'm just like, man, I would let them do experiments on me if I could HBO. <laughs> I also but, didn't have HBO as a kid, and my aunt, who, God bless her, taped three separate seasons of Tales from the Crypt on old VHS tapes. Oh, oh gosh. And Man, that's, a, that's a great story. Seriously. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my only experience with HBO. I just knew that they made Tales from the Crypt. Do you have a, do you have a home, home box office uh, network, uh, Jen? I, yes, I did. And I, wa I was obsessed with this movie called Nadia, which was about like the gymnast Nadia Comaneci. And I just watched that over and over again. Yeah, that's what I remember. But also, and also this little puppet interlude thing. So yeah, well, I maybe I, didn't use it to the best of its <laughs> abilities when I had it, but. I did have HBO, and uh, that's how I saw Dream On. And uh, your first, which, your first boot boots in that show. It was, a, it was a lot. Of, it was a big sexual awakening. I will say, me. Dream On. I always wanted to watch, but my parents knew there were boobs in it. Uh, so, oh, when we eventually <laughs> did get HBO much later, it was this very funny. Like uh, I remember trying to be like, oh, "I'll just stay up and watch a, a show with you." My dad's like, "You're not watching Dream On. You're not watching yeah. Dream On. Brian <laughs> Ben Ben is not it. for you." Um, he like hand you a copy of Radioland Murders, and he's like, "Here, you can get your Brian Ben." He ben knew text. I was I was trying to see some boobs. It probably, probably was. Um, but there's also something else you'd see on HBO a lot, and they still do that. They do a, a little bit better. Um, you know, they blur the lines between what we like to call heroes and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, Massa! Good segue. Oh, I try, I try. Um, in Heroes and Villains, we talk about the cast of the film, and in this one, surprisingly small cast you know mm -hmm. I, I think covid probably has a lot to do with that um let's talk about the hunk <laughs> Woo! Ephron. Zach, zach efron as andrew andy mcgee i think he's doing a lot of heavy lifting here and i don't know i i, I think we're gonna get some big dramatic swings from from efron we already you know you already played ted bunny <laughs> sky's the limit with him um <laughs> so but I got to say, I, I think there's, I think a few of them down the road are going to connect. I, I think that he has a lot of potential. 
And I think you see it in this because sure. he is straddled with so much exposition. And I think he does a pretty the good job with fails it. him in this. Yeah. yeah but I, I, I love Zephron. I've loved him. Uh, <laughs> you know why I like, I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, I was like, can I tell you, she's trying to work. I'm like, can I tell you why I like Zach Efron? Um, and I said, because, you know, he was the guy in high school who was hot and popular, but he had nerd friends. Like yeah. he was nice yeah. to the nerds. And so I always loved that guy and wanted to be friends with that guy. And I was friends with that guy. And, uh, you know, but it's like, you almost feel when you're that age and you're very insecure, like this guy's doing you a favor by being friends with you. I still feel that way. Like when I see Zac Efron, I'm just like, just be nice to me. You know? <laughs> he probably he, would be. I know. That's the thing is I get such a sense of like warmth off him, even when he plays bad guys, like, and even when he's like super cocaine buff, it's like, he's, <laughs> he's like, he's this, uh, there's something so warm and like natural about him. I've, I, I'm like weirdly very, very horny for Zac Efron. And, Ooh. uh, and yeah, so I like him in this movie. I just feel like, um, cause he can do it. Like I remember in Beach Bum, the Matthew McConaughey yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. I thought he was so good. Yeah. Neighbors. I, like, and he's in like a small part of that yes. movie. Oh, he's mm -hmm. amazing he's awesome in Neighbors. In Neighbors. Yeah. Like I, I really, really like him. I hate that he's so buff because I, I, my, you know, I just think more men in movies should look like guys in the seventies. Like Dude, they should look like alcoholic. You I know, do not hate captains. that he is so buff. For the record. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, the, like the original Amityville horror. When, yeah. uh, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, James, oh, Brolin? Uh, James Brolin. Brolin, yeah, yeah. yeah, Brolin, James Brolin. And when he's shirtless, he's in his tidy and it's whitey. just like, yep. this is what a man looks like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you've got Ryan Reynolds, who's like got Woo! a nine. And it's pack like, what does remake. he do? Like, I yeah. guess he does chop wood all day because there's no yeah. way this stepdad has yeah. this tan buff bod. Yeah. So, anyways, I Trinity body. <laughs> I forgive. <laughs> yeah, I forgive Zach Efron for being so buff, mm -hmm. uh, but. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, I wish more men looked like uh, they'd just been like punched 10 times in the head before they started filming. Well, uh, yeah. No, I was just going to tell you just to ease your, your mind. Zach Efron is very sweet. I, oh, nice to know. So nice. I lived in Los Angeles for 12 years. So I have random run ins with, you know, celebrities. He actually picked me up from the airport once, not, not because I was friends with him, but because a friend of mine was friends with him and was with them. And I was kind of in a bind. I couldn't get a ride. This was before Uber. And I was like 22 years old, stuck at LAX. I didn't know what to do. I texted a million people. And one of my friends who happened to be friends with Zach Efron was like, I can pick you up. I did not, he did not tell me. That, <laughs> that Zephron would be driving said vehicle when they picked oh me up. Um, he was genuinely, and I wasn't a fan. I didn't watch High School Musical. Like I didn't watch any Zac Efron movies. I knew who he was, obviously, because everyone did. Mm. I was starstruck because he's so handsome. Yeah. And he was genuinely sweet and kind. What was he listening to? <laughs> what was he listening to? They were actually listening to NPR. <laughs> Oh my God! So, he's a good little liberal. Cool. Yeah. Was there like a was there like a copy of Firestarter in the backseat? Yeah, he was like, I'm preparing <laughs> like one for day. this. Yeah, he's like, he's like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'd like to be Firestarter. The role, it's, it's like, the role I've always wanted to play. Yeah. Maybe someday I'll get the opportunity. Right. <laughs> Once I'm old enough, you know. But yeah, I, like, I agree though. I, um, I think Neighbors was the first thing I. Oh, I'm sure I saw him in something. But Neighbors was the first thing I remember seeing him in. And even though that's Same. a comedy. He and um, Dave Franco were very, very good. And I was like, okay, yeah. mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. there's something to this kid. He's not just some buff, cute guy. And I thought he was great in this. And I actually, as much as I wouldn't mind seeing his body, 
<laughs> did appreciate that we didn't get any like major shirtless scenes because yeah. I was yeah. anticipating that and it didn't happen. I thought it was going to happen. I, I, I was, it was like, sure, like, like a... burns his shirt <laughs> off, you know? <laughs> and it's slow and sexual, weirdly enough. <laughs> I just thought that maybe, like, you know. He goes, he, you know, when, you know, his wife's uh, arms are burning, he like takes his shirt off. He's like, let me get you. <laughs> yeah. you know? cool. Let and, me pour uh, some water on both of us to uh, cool us down. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah I'm, I, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm looking this up right now. So Zach Efron's 34 years old, right? Mm. All right. Do you want to know how old Keith David was when? 30. Uh, Four. 30. 30. 30. He was 30, 30 when the 30 first one. Zero. So, so Zach Efron is actually older than David Keith is in the original Fire. Yeah, Star. but um, the character in the book is 34, right? Uh, I believe. He's, I I don't remember exactly. Right, yeah. Yeah. I just remember so it's in the real house. My my fiance um had said like, "Oh, Zach Efron, like that doesn't make sense." And I was like, "Actually, when you read the character description, it's actually a really good casting choice." They're the same age. I think so too. He's always mm-hmm. described as being like very broad shoulders, very like a mm-hmm. big man. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I feel like I we were always good. positive on that casting from back when yeah. it was first announced, yeah. right, Mike? Yeah, I wasn't really. I mean, I, I know a lot of people were like Zac Efron, like High School Musical. I was like, because no, the guy has no high school years musical. Ago. Well, yeah, yeah. that's He's like got people. The Pattinson I know that's like people who yeah. still like judge Robert Pattinson like Twilight, and it's like it's like go watch a fucking David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> no, go, go watch yeah. Good Time, and then yeah. tell me if you still think about fucking you know if you're still thinking about Twilight with him. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on Zac Efron as Andy? I know, yeah. Jen, you, you could go on and on for him. I could. Yeah, I really liked it. But before I talk about him, I just the funniest thing that I learned in doing research on the old Firestarter is that Stephen King said that Keith David had stupid eyes. <laughs> <laughs> was so, so weird. And I didn't read it in a context of a sentence, but I thought it was hilarious. You should start a podcast like Connor Ratliff, because Connor Ratliff <laughs> did that Dead Eyes podcast. Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks said he had Dead Eyes. Went and uh, so I'm like, David Keith is like, what, 65 now? Yeah, 67 so, right. comes in. Do a podcast where he's like, Stephen King told me when I was 30 that I had uh, I was a say, stupid eyes. Did Stephen <laughs> King say that in 1984? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think it was in part of his response. Because he wasn't the, a fan of the. No, he called it, I think he called it like a meat and potato. Uh, or no, he, he called didn't, it you know, cafeteria mashed potatoes. That's what he called it. Yeah. 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 Here's what I'll say about this one. He's been doing very uh, non committal tweets about it. Uh-huh. That's why I was like, because yes. he was basically just like, uh, Oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. Firestar is coming out. You know, which is a line in the movie, which I guess he had just maybe finished. Like, so I'm like, that's King uh, not committing. No, No, not good. That one ripped a little tiny piece of my heart out. Yeah, it was not good. I'm. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm I'm loving the idea of of David Keith doing a podcast that's like a dead eyes thing, just like you know, like you know, Frank Oz didn't think I was bad on India in the cupboard. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, like, I thought anyway. Zac Efron was good here, though. Like, yeah. and I I realize when I talk about Charlie and Andy, I bring a lot of what I want to the role and like a lot of my connection, emotional connection to the characters. But I think he did. I think he did a great job with what he was given to do. And I really like what he was given to do, even though I do agree with you. There's a lot of exposition, but I like this kind of slightly antagonistic role um, or like relationship between them. Cause that feels more honest than like the, just, I love you, daddy. I love you, Charlie kind of thing from the, the first movie. And I liked a little, like I liked the moment where she was like, it should have been you or I was aiming at you. I thought that just was like, that's what a nine-year-old would kind of feel like you know yeah. so i liked that a lot also super hot so well <laughs> also let's talk about not hard to look at <laughs> oh, <yes>. no no <laughs> yeah. i'm sure you know what if he was just like you know regaling like the cast and crew with like just stories from like uh you know 
different sets that he was on. You know, it's like he just hey, starts you know doing all I... the dances from um, High like... School Musical. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, he's like, hey, you want to know? You want to know how to do this dance? It's like Zach, we're on. You know, we're on in four. Right. Um, I we don't have time for though. the dance. What did you? What did y'all think about the the way he pushes, like the head tilt, and then the I like that because I, I kind of liked it. I did like it. I what movie did it remind me of though? It reminded me of Mission Impossible Fallout and uh, <laughs> oh. uh, Henry Cavill cocking his arms, which is oh, one of the best oof. gifts I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like nobody can cock a body part without aping Henry Cavill. Yeah, I yeah. feel like cocking a body part. <laughs> <laughs> and not that one besides yeah. that one not that head. um just Sorry. kind of always rings untrue to me like it kind of it, it seems like a weird uh, i'm thinking of okay did anyone see gamer yeah. yes okay i have great movie um yeah. yeah it's good but the when the villain of that movie and i can't remember his name michael c movie, hall no yeah. no not dexter um the 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 huge buff guy who um in Brooklyn Nine Nine, what the hell's his name? Oh, Terry oh. Crews. Oh, Terry yeah, Crews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's absolutely terrifying in that movie. And the only time that I was like, I don't believe this guy, is when he was cracking his neck. It just always mm-hmm. seems like something that I've never actually seen a human being do in a moment of. <laughs> I feel like you'd hurt yourself. Yeah, I just, I don't know. That's something that always bugs me. I do like that they found a way to show that he was doing something. You know, yeah. as opposed to just staring at someone. But I think what was more effective is the pupil dilation on the people that he was pushing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that was much more um, subtle and effective than the head cracking. Although Her I will say cracking. I hated the protective contact lenses. Like, lens up, everybody. Yeah. I mean, like. It became too, it became like too action movie for it me. It became too, like, right. nice try, bud. Like, when he pointed at his contact. <laughs> like, that was kind of lame. Well, but. Yeah. And it's like a definition of the powers where I feel like a lot of this book is like people not really knowing the extent of Charlie's powers and Andy's powers. And for them to have all of these plans, just, I don't know, I didn't like it. It did feel a little, that's that's the one thing that I was like, yeah, this does feel like X-Men. Well, and I don't you like felt it. like, yeah, it felt like they gave you us like issue 185 of X-Men. You're like, all right, here, catch up. And yeah. it's like, wait, they all know this stuff? I mean, it just. Totally. I mean, it seemed more like that. That seems something that would, like a conceit that would be applicable in like Firestarter to rekindle. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Like, you know, th- mm-hmm. that's where it would make sense. You know, it's been 30 years. We got some, uh, you know, we got some information yeah. here. We got to talk about her. Ryan Kira Armstrong as Charlene, Charlie Yay. McGee. Um, what I think a lot of people forget is th- there is a competition when it comes to, to, to you know, to child stars. And I, and I think that, um, you know, we look at performances and we say, oh, you know, they're following the footsteps of, you know, X, Y, and Z. I can't even imagine how hard it must be to be like, all right, well, you got this role. Oh, who had it originally? Oh, the icon, Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Like, people forget yeah. because Drew Barrymore is one of the, the rarities of being able to, you know, outlive the, the the child stardom and be able, you know, become. Now she's another icon. She's had this fourth life for herself being a talk show host. Um, but to go back, like, you know, right after ET, I mean, she was the it kid, mm-hmm. and she probably the most popular kid that, to be in, you know, in, in anything since maybe Shirley Temple, mm-hmm. maybe uh, was it who's uh, Opie uh, Ron Howard, um, and Music Man, like that type of level of of stardom. So I do think it's really hard to like kind of come in and and take on a role that is that iconic. 
Yeah. I mean, she's it's great become in even that more. role too, you know. Yeah. It's like one yeah. the hair is blowing and we all know that image, but she's also really good as a child actor in that role, you know. Yeah. And for like and carrying think, a film essentially. And I think that's a high bar to set. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know and no shade to Ryan Kira Armstrong, but I just don't think it, that that she was she had, she was given the room to be able to even try to surpass that 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 bar. Um you know, it'd be one thing if you had a little bit more to chew on here, but she doesn't. Yeah. And yeah. so all, all, you know, she's already coming in handicapped by the idea that you have Drew Barrymore as this comparison. I just, I think it was kind of an unfair advantage for her, you know? Um, and but I needed, what do you think? Well, it, I think a lot of it has to do with that missing half hour where it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't get to see her love her dad. And I do agree yeah. that like loving her dad too much. I mean like, okay, daddy, like that's not as interesting, yeah. but like, I didn't get to see the cute, child that she was and Mm -hmm. one thing that one extremely missed opportunity so I I have an anxiety disorder and I've had it since I was a child and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 28 and my life has been completely different like as a kid it was like oh she just chews her fingers and her cheeks off like (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. fine and it's like oh actually she has a a disorder that she desperately needs medication for and in the big a lot of people of our generation have had similar experiences yeah (laughs) absolutely like like, shit that you did when you were young and where your parents were just like oh yeah that's fine and then you you know you look at like kids now and it's just very funny it is no it is and that was the thing like going back with a therapist and being like well when did this start it's like well I don't know maybe like college and then finding out like oh no I had this when I was six like that's terrifying Mm -hmm. but in the beginning of the movie I thought that they were really going to use the tools remember that he 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 says remember your tools and that's an anxiety tool finding something in the room you can see something you can smell something you can hear something you can taste focusing in on those senses when you're about to have an anxiety attack which is essentially what happens to her she's having some sort of emotional reaction and this is how it manifests and that's a really cool theme as someone you know who dealt with this as a young girl but also to look at it from a parent's point of view and having a child that has special needs, whether they're severe like Charlie's Mm -hmm. or, you know, less severe, like, you know, a generalized anxiety disorder, but it just never, they never touched on it again. I think one other time in the movie, they were like, he was like, focus, remember your tools when they were hiding under the desk at the the ranch house. And I don't know. I just really think that that could have, that could have been fleshed out more. That could have been revisited more times because that was so interesting to me. And I got excited. I literally, my fiance, I was like, that's an anxiety tool. And I was like, I right. know I've used it, you know? And then it yeah, just kind like of- Yeah, like Mike Snoonian has recommended that on the psychoanalysis podcast, the five, four, three, two, one yes. thing, which you see on a poster in her room. And I was like, yes, they're going to use these tools. And I think like, I love that they used it. And I think you're right. It's not so much that I think they abandon it. It's just this, we don't see enough of her having an opportunity to need them. Yeah. Because that should be what the control is, is learning how to it's like distress tolerance Mm -hmm. you know it's like you use this you become uncomfortable using your power and then you pull it back and then you go a little further and you pull it back and you use those tools to pull it back 
And I loved that in the beginning. It's part of what I think is so effective about the first half. You know, I also have an anxiety disorder and have used similar things. And I have a daughter who um, was recently qualified for autism support. And so we've used a lot of like calming techniques with her to just like breathe. And so I found that really effective. And I also really loved the emphasis on using like learning to use her powers because that's the thing that pisses me off so much as much as I love the book it bothers me so much that Andy spends so much time trying to teach her to be afraid of her powers Mm -hmm. and be afraid of who she fundamentally is and I love this kind of push-pull with Vicky um and her Like, but I think the turn happens really quickly. Like, Zac Efron gets on board with teaching her to use her powers very quickly. And I wanted a little more of that. I wanted more, like, lessons. And, Randall, I was interested about uh, how you felt about the cat thing. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, that's that's going to be in in our next section. Yeah, Yeah. I I can hold off on that. But uh, let's just say none too pleased. Uh, (laughs) Let's just say I turned turned on Charlie at that minute. And I'll say... (laughs) But it's not for that reason, though. I have a long history of trash- trashing child actors on this podcast. And yeah, uh, I have Cortland to- Cortland Mead. Uh, Cortland Mead. I can't Still imagine. Crying, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, but I, I certainly don't think she was bad, actively bad. And this is, I found other children in King Adaptations actively bad. I think she just didn't really have enough to do. I personally yeah. found her performance in it, Chapter 2, uh, to be more compelling in one scene than this mm-hmm. entire movie. Yeah. And it's it's just, it was more of just a non-entity. And I'll say a lot of it has to do with the fact that what this movie really needed was a little bit of humor. Yes. Yeah. This movie has no fucking Not jokes. Because I was when you brought up Poltergeist, uh, Ashley, I, which is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's the first horror movie I ever saw. And um, it's funny. So like funny. the first, because yeah. like the first half hour of that movie, you were talking weed. about like, we're getting... Yeah, mm-hmm. they're getting the into the family. There's chips. the remote control bit. There's, you know, it's Joe like, Beth Williams, Stone Cold Fox. Yeah, she's uh, an oh, absolute yeah. baby. Craig T. Nelson's Stone Cold Fox. Woo! But, uh-huh. but, but, um, but I'm saying that... Uh, like that movie's so funny. And I and I guess I that sort of lit that light bulb in my brain where I'm just like, where's the humor in this? Like everything is so dour. And uh and that contributes to, I don't know if it was just the computer I was watching it on, but good lord, was this a dark movie. Like I had my brightness on full tilt yeah. and uh was still not seeing certain scenes. But um, but yeah, and uh so I think that in some ways contributes to it too, and that she didn't get to have a lot of personality because she's kind of always on this verge of of freaking out and panicking, you know? Yeah, when it comes to like child performances and, and having room to, you know, to kick around, this is uh, right up there with uh, the good son in terms of, uh, you know, being dour. In ter- like everyone's so mean to her from the get-go. Yeah, You have people chasing her. I mean- it- I gotta say bad, bad bullies. These bullies were not, this is not what bullying looks like. You don't just like call somebody weird over and over again. And yeah. also why like, did the teachers like, not Google? say anything to that horrible <laughs> ginger child? Like he was mm-hmm. like, you suck. Like as she as he hits her in the head with a ball and the teacher's just like, Timmy. Like there was no, <laughs> yeah. um, why, right. why were they allowed to treat her that way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't have Wi-Fi. So yeah, know, clearly she deserves it. That was it, such right? a funny, weird detail. And it was, I, I don't know. It's, I, I can't imagine some kids that age being like, you don't use Google. You right. fucking loser. That's <laughs> exactly. kind of funny to me. 
Right. Like, where's your Snapchat? Um, <laughs> it was like, another like Terminator reference, though, because there's oh. the, it's when uh, he lives off the grid at the beginning of Terminator Three. I was like, yeah, it's just that is like true. John Connor. And then when she says, "I like your bike," it's like, yeah, it's like the T1000. So would have been cool if Nick Stahl would have been in this movie. I think Love that would have been awesome if Charlie yeah. had burned him alive or something. That been I, cool. I wouldn't know if I'd burn Nick Stahl because I like him a lot, but um, I definitely would want him in the movie. Um, let's let's. Uh, <laughs> We could, keep, we could keep talking about Charlie, but we, we should probably talk uh, to Charlie as uh, she relates to Vicky, uh, Sydney Lemon as Vicky. I actually thought uh, this was probably my favorite addition to this this movie. Me too. I, just, I really loved, I, I really liked Vicky's scenes in this. They Probably my favorite sequence in the movie um, involves her. Um, I know, Jen, you have a lot to talk about here. Um, so yeah. I'm going to leave the floor to you. <laughs> I absolutely loved Vicky in this movie. I think in the original book, um, I feel like she doesn't really have a whole lot of autonomy. She doesn't have a, a ton to do other than just like be die. Charlie's mother. Exactly. And then <laughs> die. And then in the movie, she dies off screen. So like yeah. she, you know, and that's Heather Locklear, you know. But I loved I loved the conversations with Charlie. I feel like I really got a sense that people in this movie cared about Charlie and actually wanted to see her like develop, you know, and I loved, like I said, I loved the conversations with her and Zac Efron. Um, but I loved that she has powers and I liked the kind of implication that she was afraid of them. I wanted more of that. Um, I wanted to know why she was afraid of them and just kind of a little more of her backstory. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved everything about this. That is the the number one thing I think I wanted is more women in the story and Vicky to have more to do with Charlie. Which, so, you know, yeah. I was actually excited. I, I'm not trying to jump ahead. I know we'll get to it. I was very excited with the casting of Cap being a woman because that character does not need to be a man. It could be anything. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I was very excited about that. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. But nope. <laughs> that was a nice yeah. way to add more women to the story. And yeah, because the original story feels so much like a bunch of men talking about Charlie yeah. the whole time. And I love that. I think adding Vicky and then adding Cap as a, a female actor, I think, helped that. And I think the Vicky was a, a lot stronger. Yeah, than Cap. which could be, you know, an interesting take. A lot of men talking about a young girl and her body and what it can do. Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. that's something and what that she we, should be and what she allowed should be to allowed to do and what she should mm-hmm. you know and and that's that oh, yeah. speaks a lot to that was another thing with this movie where i i felt like it could have so many themes and it, it ended up with no theme like there yeah. were really so good. many themes that they could have gone with they could have gone with people trying to control a young woman's body they could have gone with parents dealing with a, a child mm-hmm. with special needs they could have gone with a young girl who's dealing with her own blossoming things the story is literally about burning down the patriarchy yeah and and they like that's what happens at the end they chose nothing nothing yeah i think that's a big problem of of this film is that there it doesn't feel like there's a heart no there i couldn't figure out what not that every movie has to have a message of course but i couldn't figure out what what it was yeah it it just often do you know yeah like, well, they do, and and it feels like this film again. Not to harp on this, but like that first half, it feels like they are leading yeah. towards something like that. Mm-hmm. And even with the idea and the conceit of of Charlie having to accept her powers, and and you know, with great basically boiling it down to with great power comes great responsibility and and whatnot. But um, but even just the idea that they're having that sort of discussion, it it 
it feels so um, piecemeal and also it, it feels so perfunctory, yeah. you know, like there, like when it comes in at the end, it's just like, oh, this is an easy way for her to have a, you know, some sort of revelation that allows for us to have the explosive, you know, revenge at the, the end here. And I just, I don't know. I just, I, I like, I kind of get where they're going yeah. with that, but they don't, they don't never, they never put the legwork to do it because they don't have the room yeah. for it. So what, how did you yeah. guys feel about swapping Andy and Charlie in this movie? Because in the book and in the original movie, Charlie is afraid of her powers. She doesn't want to use them and she doesn't want to hurt people. And Andy is saying, mm -hmm. Hey, sometimes you have to fucking hurt people. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to kill or be killed. And in this case, we got to kill. And in this movie, she was like, I like it. And he was like, <laughs> yeah. you can't hurt people. You can't hurt people. You can't hurt people. And I did not think that that was as compelling. What I liked about it is I feel like in the original story, it is very much Andy teaching her to be afraid of her yeah. body. And you can't use these powers because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I like that his reasoning, what's really, I think, underneath his reason for not wanting her to use her powers is that he's worried about how it'll affect her emotionally. Yes, psychologically. You know, because, yeah, which I, I like because one of the things I really miss in the original movie is more of a kind of an explanation of how she feels about all of this. And I really yeah. like that we get this here. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Andy, it just, the turn happens really quickly. Like, I feel like we start at point A and it's like, Mike, what you were saying, it's like, they realize, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta turn this. We've said that quick. like 10 times. Like the turn was really quick. <laughs> it was really quick. Yeah. It feels like you, you really just cut out a chunk in the middle, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. like a fucking episode of Cobra Kai has more montages <laughs> of people learning things than this entire film does. I mean, like yep. even more when they're like, too. she like escapes in the forest and it's like, all right, um, then she trains in the forest for a little bit. For like two seconds. Drags tires in the woods. Yeah. I think I could probably reach over and grab my drink under the coffee table and then look back at the screen and the training montage is over. Like that's <laughs> how fast it goes. Also, um, she doesn't explode a crow. I thought she was going to explode a crow. Look, she already killed a cat. Yeah, she doesn't need true. to kill no, any more true. animals. No. But well, could, could we like spare the cat, kill the crow? Yeah. I know well, that. Yeah. Kill Randall Flagg. Yeah. Kill Randall Flagg. Yeah, exactly. Um... Any other thoughts on Vicky? Just that we liked her. Yeah. Liked her. We did. More women in movies, guys. Yes. Uh, well, we have some other corollary characters. We got to talk about Michael Gray Eyes' Rainbird. Um, I think we could all agree that uh, casting this time, pretty, pretty great, great. You know? Yeah. So, sorry, Scott, or Jersey Scott. Sorry, Malcolm McDowell. But, uh, you know, I think Gray Eyes was, was really great casting. Yeah. Um, I think, we, you know, I feel like we dug into this character a lot earlier on, but. I do wish we got more yeah. because if, if this is, if I'm really stoked at how they handled Vicky, I'm very intrigued at how they handled Rainbird and Same. enough so that, I mean, I even texted you, Jen, and was like, kind of, if, if this was developed more, this would have been the way to do it in the book. hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I even do think that this is an improvement on the book. Like I like this version of him better. I just well, feel like I there's like, a piece yeah, missing. The, the idea of this yes. version, right? Because it's yes, executed yes. so poorly, but it's exactly. such like- I'd love to hear, I bet in the outline stages and the early stages, they were so stoked about this idea. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear Scott Teams talk about like, I don't know, like just what, what happened? Like, because like, clearly it's an interesting arc that was developed, but mm -hmm. everything that justifies the arc is gone. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing right. there that justifies the arc. And I don't know if that's just a problem 
with the script originally or if it was stuff that was cut 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 you know what I mean yeah so I don't know it's such a bummer because I think he's a good actor and I I thought it was um I like the vibe of the whole character and I just yeah. wished that and I like you know I, I like the idea of everything it just doesn't connect yeah Exactly. Can I tell you when I fell in love with him is when he has a tarot card tattooed on his back and it's the hanged man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting, like, cause that's a card about like waiting, you know? And yeah. it's the card before the death card in the, the major arcana. And I was like, this is so cool. This informs, like, that's a really, I think, clever way of informing a character, even though not a lot of people are really going to pick up on the nuances of that. But yeah, I feel like there's just a lot more that didn't make it to the screen that I want to see. I watch a movie about Rainbow. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I fell in love with him when I realized he was on the set of uh, 1988's Die Hard um, <laughs> when he, they first introduced him, and uh, he seems to be in that one area where you know he's uh, in like a you know McCl- there's no air conditioning version. in that building that yeah. he lives in. Oh wait, I thought. I thought you were literally saying he was in Die Hard. <laughs> I oh, no, 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 I was no. like, he's I've, in Die Hard. When they introduced like, Rainbird here, it looks, exa- in Die Hard. it looks almost exactly yeah. like this, the, 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 the part of the Nakatomi building. Where yeah. yeah. There's like a leaky ceiling um, and yeah. yeah. It's when like, he lives in that isolation <laughs> apartment, you know, with the elevator yeah. with no doors to you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Gray's is great. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, hey, he lives. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe I, if there is a sequel, I, which I doubt there will be, because yeah. I can't imagine it's going to make a lot of money. But it's like I absolutely would watch him and Charlie together because I actually think that is the beginnings of something interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe they show up at the uh, Rolling Stone together. That's yeah. Really <laughs> oh, that could be it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd but like, uh, this, well, how does Rainbow magazine feel used- about the shop? Like, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I want to know what the whole deal. Yeah. I'm taking more. you to Rolling Stone. This magazine used to be good, and then they started. <laughs> right. Then they started taking money from record companies yeah. for good. They reviews. used to write. They gave stuff. five stars. They give yeah. you two. They give Latter Day U2 albums yeah. five stars now. We shouldn't uh, go. We shouldn't deliver your exclusive there. No, let's go to let's go to uh, Spin Magazine. <laughs> they still have print, right? They got buzzed bought out by Buzz Media. Great company. Oh, I guess we have nowhere um, to take our story. We have nowhere because there's no <laughs> journalism anymore. Every media They'll take it to company is owned by hedge fund billionaires. <laughs> yeah, their own TikTok an page, and they'll be like, "Look what I can do." The government tried to stop me. It's oh, like, dude, subscribe. take it to this TikTok user Rover Jr. Or whatever, you know? um, all right, well, we got a few more. Um, I was really excited for this casting, and it was it was last minute that I saw it because I'm a huge uh, That 70s Show fan, especially for Danny Masterson. But um, I'm just joking. That's a joke. I, I'm, I, I fucking hate that guy. But um, I was really excited for Kurtwood Smith because yeah. I, I just, at first, I love seeing him in RoboCop. He's great as Red Foreman. Um, I love when we use veterans, like veteran actors, like in, in these roles and stuff. Um, I like them when they get more than two minutes and 30 seconds or whatever what it is. What was like, the point? What the f- so right. why did we even meet this exposition yeah pixie stick thing i was just gonna say that too what the fuck was that like, well, i has, wanted him to just roll her, lean over yeah. and snort yeah. them all all know? right this is what i used to do in the 80s he's like oh. all right let's go <laughs> i mean he probably read the script and said well i have no character uh yeah. let me right. do something and like some kid on set's got pixie sticks he's like give me those you little punk he's like and then, yeah. um, <laughs> he's like he's like oh well, i'm in the waiting room before that 90s show starts so uh <laughs> right. you know better I got to say, Kurtwood Smith, though, is having a moment, uh, which is very good because he's an incredible actor. Mm -hmm. I would I I have my issues with the Hulu show, The Dropout about Elizabeth Holmes, but he plays the celebrity lawyer, David Boyes, in that. And Mm -hmm. he is so 
fucking good in that. Like yep. it is one of my favorite TV performances I've seen uh, this year. And so I'm very glad that he's starting to get roles that just aren't Red Foreman spinoffs, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, yeah. because he is so, so, so talented when you let him run. And uh, I, yeah. this is unfortunately not a great no, use. No, it, it really is a pointless scene. You're at, you asked earlier, like, what could we cut to that? that whole scene there was no mm -hmm. point in it and the thing is is that in the book and the movie the original movie um Wenless is killed because mm -hmm. he's the one that is like you have to kill the girl you got to kill her there's yeah. no other option she's she's going to become mm -hmm. too powerful so after that scene i was like okay so they're gonna kill him but why like he he's just like an old man in a home with his pixie sticks and of course yeah. they they didn't because you don't need to and i just don't understand why they even had that scene in the movie yeah. and i think like the only redeeming thing for me in that is one kurtwood smith yeah. but two like he gets to deliver some of my favorite lines in the book where they're describing her powers like she could split the the planet in two like i love that and i one of the things i talked about in our stranger things episode is i love that people get to tell 11 how cool her powers are and i want more people talking about how cool charlie is you know um but yeah, how cool would it have been if Gloria Rubin had just shot him, though? I think that would have added some depth to her character. Even something you know? to Anything. her character. Yeah. Exactly. Anything. Otherwise, it is just like, hey, we got to deliver these lines. We got to get this exposition Yeah, because like, why did she even go there? Yeah. The they got to have the name Herman Pinchot on the wall, too. It's so, like, I could read you know, all of this in a folder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marked classified like, secret or put class. it is it Raper files? There. Put it in the uh you know, open it the, the quick opening credit sequence. Like I just don't yeah, it, it was a kind of a nah. pointless scene. But of course, he yeah. was incredible. And I, I think that if yes. they had given him more, it would have been more meaningful. But yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well you mentioned Gloria Rubin, uh Captain Hollister. I gotta say one of the most fun and villains Oof, in years like man. just nothing and there. i was so excited because i loved her on er i was a yeah. big fan and i was like glory rubin i haven't seen her in a while but man like i feel like she was all over the place with this role because there was no nobody had any idea about what this character is supposed to be you know like, yeah. how, how long do i have to sit in this blue yeah. room there's an interesting right. idea about her being she's like i'm the new guard you know i'm different than right. the old guard i'm like tell me, tell me how. how yeah <laughs> exactly. exactly it's like Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just, you know, it was a uh, pretty, like, it, there just was no real commitment to building out her character. I mean, there's stuff you can read into it. I mean, just the idea where she's like, no, I'll use it for good, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, we're, we're not going to exploit her. And you're just like, well, yes, obviously you are, but there's nothing beyond the surface. But what does she believe? Right. Like, does she know yeah. that they're going mm -hmm. to exploit her? And she's just saying this because she knows that that's what, you know, they want to hear. Like, I, I didn't understand yeah. what she wanted, if she was bad, if she was good. I really miss, you know, in, in the original film and in, in the book as well. It's a it's a much more bureaucratic character. And yep. in yeah. this, it was more like a supervillain, but yep. a supervillain with with no intentions. Or well, this speak, right. and no. it speaks to the lack of any development of the shop as a as totally. a yes. or as an organization or an institute whatsoever. There's just there's this this fleeting and glancing uh, mention of it being you know this uh, I don't know this like malevolent organization, but we get so little development, and that to me is so important to the yeah. to the world of it. Yeah. I feel like when people talk about Firestarter, the shop is one of the first things that comes up, and everybody's totally. like, "Oh, I wish King did more with the shop, like throughout his writing." Like something we talked about on the pod before, and then here they're just kind of like, "Well, we're just we're not going to, yeah. you know, it's just a faceless government." Organization. If you hadn't you know? read the book or watched the '80s movie, how would you even know? 
yeah. who they were. Right. Like, what is this? like? Yeah, it well, makes and- me. Well, now it makes me wonder if like something we joked about it on past Firestarter episodes, or even I think in the trailer or something about how King just refuses to use the the you know the term the shop. It makes me wonder if there were some like heavies that came in and they were like, all right, you know, uh, yeah, yeah little book, Stephen. Uh, he said the Institute, you know, he initially thought it was going to be the shop and then he said, no, no, nope, not going to do that. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. fun fact, the DSI actually stands for the shop institute oh shit i think in the the prequel it's gonna be you know be more about yeah yeah i needed another line explaining that jen yeah yeah. (laughs) you gotta make it explicit uh i'm not a mind reader you know Well, not like Charlie. <laughs> we can't leave without talking about him. John Beasley. <laughs> we can't leave without talking we about him. <laughs> I love I love John Beasley. I'm a huge fan of his. Like I he, you know, ever since I first saw him in Mighty Ducks as uh Mr. Hall. Oh yeah. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, he's great. Maybe he'll come back for uh but Ducks the series. What's going on with this character? I don't really know what's going on here. These it, scenes were baffling to me. Yeah. Like, okay, am I crazy? Did I miss something that that they paid him $100 to drive him to Boston. He takes him home for lunch and yeah. then they just forget about going to I Boston. I literally, like, that was just, just to say. show, just to add in the $100 bill thing, which I did appreciate. Yep. I was like, oh, they did the $100 bill thing. But you can't thing. just say like, cause then at one point he goes, where are you going? What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that I literally like sat out loud in the coffee shop. I'm just like, you're driving them to yeah. Boston. Yeah. Like- Right. Also, that's not how you hitchhike. You don't say, hey, can you drive me to a different state? You're like, hey, I'm headed here. How, how far, far can, can you get me? me? You know? Well, maybe he was, you know, I know lift, solely lift for Uber to pay King for his wife's too. medical bills or something like that. Yeah. I also, my favorite thing that I laughed out loud is when um, they woke up the next day and they hear, hear the sirens. It was like after he discovers that Charlie has these powers um, and he's able to talk to his wife for the first time, which could have been such an amazing touching moment and they just kind of got glossed over but they hear the sirens and he's like sometimes overreact and i was like you just found out that the people staying with you murdered his wife that's not an overreaction that's a pretty like (laughs) normal reaction yeah to have what's yeah. weird is that he's just still continuing to sit there and get drunk in the I house know. while he has a murderer yeah there. like right. i thought he was just learning about it like when he was watching nope, the news he called the cops and, uh, uh 20 minutes before that yeah yeah which is just very funny to yeah. me and um yeah. like i'm like my man what are you doing <laughs> also like i mean I, I again i appreciate the lived in atmosphere at all but could we get like a nice room for your wife why like, is she in the like, shed like hold the loft i know yeah. it's like like Evil Dead or like Texas Chainsaw Massacre here. Like this is yeah. This is very it, it strange. It was very like um first season of True Detective is what yes. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that that whole set the farm section felt like a different movie. Yeah, it did. I, that was when the movie pivots basically. Yeah. yeah. I honestly thought that Charlie was going to discover that he was like keeping this woman, um alive in a shed like that is what i thought when she broke in yeah that he was like a bad guy and she was gonna warn her like dad don't yeah kind of yeah like she was gonna mm. warn and then it was like no this is my wife who i love very much and it was like what how <laughs> why <laughs> and i really thought when she when she was telling him what his wife had to say i was like you know that the wife would have been like fucking unplug me dude like why am i here for 30 right. something years it was yeah. it was a change that Again, maybe could have worked had they given it some space to breathe. 
but it yeah, was. Yeah, I really like the idea mm-hmm. of it. And I like, I think, I like what I think they think they're yes. doing, you know? And I like the theme of forgiveness and the what does it cost to burn people. But, but yeah, this was when it, it started to fall apart for me because it, the like the confrontation between him and Andy is just so goofy in a lot of ways yeah. too and also like the scene at the Manders farm that's my favorite part of the book and oh good yeah I just I didn't I don't need to see it exactly because I've seen it beat for beat in the original movie but I wanted I just wanted it to be more I wanted more fire I wanted you know I just wanted it to be bigger and I wanted it to be more ominous and building dread and it just I don't know didn't would you say you wanted more Nightmares and dreamscapes? If you think your dreams are disturbing, (laughs) imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Well, we're going into our next section. Uh, Basically, these these next few are speed rounds. Uh, For this, in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, we're going to talk about one thing we loved Go around again in one thing we hated. Actually, we'll just do what we love and what we hated each person. Uh, Jen, what you loved and what you hated. Okay, what I loved, um, I loved the manifestation of her fire powers. I love when she screams and blows fireballs at people. I thought that was so cool. And it really hit it, I think, why I love this character so much. Because she is a little girl who um, is, I think, really just kind of tossed around to a lot of different people and really just has this unfair burden that she has to carry. And, like, I I was a little girl like that. And I was, you know, mad a lot and told that I couldn't show that I was mad and that I couldn't, like, express myself. And, like, she is able to be mad in a way that means something to people. And so when she does this thing where she screams and she, like, people, it like, it matters that she's angry, you know? And I just absolutely loved that. Like, and it's different than when Drew Barrymore does it because she just kind of stands there and it builds and it blows. And here it's like she, it, like, explodes out of her. And I thought, I, I just loved that. That's, that's, like, the essence of why I love this character, you know? Um, and the thing that I hated is... I didn't hate it, but man, I wanted more fire with the shop. Like I was like fist pumping when Zach Efron said, burn it down because like, I want to hear that in a ton of movies. (laughs) And then I wanted to see it burn down. Like we see the explosion, like flames off in the distance as she's walking towards the beach. I know it kind of walks away from like, it just struck me as, but lack of budget and COVID. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, I don't want to fault a movie for it, but like, I don't know. That's one. It thing is a problem, though. You need an explosive good. climax. Well, yeah, exactly, it's called Firestarter. Called Firestarter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, some fire. Yeah, you save Kurtwood Smith, and you spend say, that money on Firestarter. You cut Kurtwood Smith, then you don't have to pay his salary, and then you can just do <laughs> blow up a fire. building. Uh, hey, now, Kurtwood's uh, going to be just fine. My, he my is. Yeah, is pretty important. Uh, um, <laughs> oh. Uh, Ashley, what's one thing you loved, one thing you hate? One thing I loved is that they did, I'm so sorry, Randy, they did actually go for it with, like, the scene with the cat. Like, they were like, hey, we're going to kill a fucking cat, and you're going to deal with it, and you're going to watch it, and it's going to suck. And also, um, uh, the scene where she's in the car with that guy, and she blows him in half. Yes. Uh It was gruesome. It was really, uh-huh. really disgusting, and I, I was into it. I wanted more of that, yeah. especially if you're going to, Damn. you know, like you. I was saying earlier, like I couldn't really figure out. I didn't think it was as interesting the choice to um, make Charlie 
so into her powers with her father then being like, no, you can't hurt anyone. Um, but actually, after talking to you guys, I, I may have changed my mind a little bit on that. However, I feel like it made her a very unsympathetic character. And there's nothing wrong with having an unsympathetic character. I think we need more unsympathetic characters. I think it can work. I've seen girls. Mm -hmm. It can work. You can have characters <laughs> that are unsympathetic, that are still interesting. 100%. I just, I needed, I needed more. I needed more from Charlie to, I don't know, or or more from the shop. Something that made the the, the fact that she was un unsympathetic then at the end be like, fine, I don't give a shit. Kill them all. Kill yeah. every mm -hmm. one of them for what they did to you. But they didn't do anything to you. Really. Right. Yeah, they didn't. Like if we yeah. had seen the doors open and a ton of Something, people Something, yeah. Like out, anything you know, to but, show yeah. that they were bad people who deserved to get burned alive. Mm -hmm. But I, I just kind of yeah, get it. Yeah. I wrote yeah. in my notes, like, when Charlie says, you're bad people who do bad things or mm -hmm. something like that. Like, I was like, how do, How do you, you know, know that? Yeah. Like, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. They killed her For mom. For sure. They did. But, but it's like, we need to understand the structural, the systemic, what, what is it that they are doing on the large scale? Yeah. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like for her to sort of indict the entire organization. Yeah. Um, okay. Something I loved. Uh, any movie that begins with a baby's head uh, on setting on fire <laughs> is A-OK -okay in my I book. Okay. That was no. pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And- uh, yeah, and then um, oh, Zach Efron and his like college interview. Yeah, so, and when they're mm -hmm. like, "You enjoy college?" Like, uh, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yes, sir. Uh, I'm sure you are." Um, my something I really hated. I've talked about a lot of things I didn't like already, so I'll just do a small one here. Okay. But uh, the what do you call it when that whenever uh, Vicky or Andy referred to their powers. I'm like, I don't think adults would say that. No. I think they would have a different word mm. for it. Yeah. Uh, my Ability? Your, honey, your powers. I would I never say that to my wife. Ever. Would be a good <laughs> word, never. I think. Your no. special magic. Ability. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so your special your special thing. I like that thing you do. I'm not just the movie, but also the-, the <laughs> You know that thing. I think I can do it, but yeah, I like that, Jen. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Yeah. Um, I really love the body horror. I, I, I was surprised by it. I, I, I wish we got more of it, obviously, but what we got, um, you know, it really kind of exacerbates the, the just the, the damage that can be done. You know, we think about fire starter, oh, explosions, things blowing up, but just the, 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 the menial stuff of just like, oh, the, you know, the trace fires and, and what you have here, the stuff with Vicky with her arms was pretty oh, gross. Man. It was yeah. awesome. Like, I really liked that a lot. Yeah, and then, that was good. you know, Ashley, as you mentioned with the, the, the guy in the car, I love that too. Like, I wanted more of that. Just give me more of grotesque bodies, just like, you know, there's still the fact that he's still alive. I loved it even more. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, great. Awesome. Cool. It's gruesome. Neat. You know, let's not forget this is sci-fi horror. Come on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like that. Because they show him like talking to his wife and stuff. So they yes, actually they do. That yeah. <laughs> and then and yeah. that relates to the cat. I agree with you, actually. Like, I appreciate the movie for yes. going there with the cat and being a little bit nasty in that way. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, I have, I've got a I've, I've got a hard and fast rule about about kitties and doggies in movies. Oh, totally, totally. And I, I did love that they added that tidbit because I remember turning to Sammy and be like, oh, they're not going to kill him now. Um, mm -hmm. And then but then they did. I was like, oh, awesome, great. Because you didn't even need to have that line, but you just did it so that you would have it that shock. Um, I hated the shop. The shop was awful. The shop sucked. Shop so, sucked. Um, shop sucked. But uh, you know what doesn't suck? 
little place that we call the cemetery. <laughs> What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. All right, we're keeping it simple. And I'll just open the floor for this. I don't even know if we need to round robin because I don't even know if we're going to have that many. What scared us? You want me to start? Opening. Oh, yeah. Mine is, mine is funny because it's not like necessarily a horror moment, but I thought it was really well shot was the bullies on the bikes. The way it was framed where they ride their bike past Charlie and we see her back and then there is a moment of stillness and then the bike circles back around around her oh, and you yeah. realize that they're that they're riding in a circle around her it's like it's that moment because you know i talk about bullies all the time here and um on the pod and i thought that was a really good bully moment in the sense of that's charlie's fear too you want them to just ride their bike past you and leave you alone but mm -hmm. instead you have that moment where they pass you and it's like okay are they going to circle back and fuck with me because that's like a, a tear i know from when I was a kid, you know? And it's like really, really, really freaky. And I thought that was really well shot, so. Yeah. yeah. Ashley, what scared I, you? The closest I got to being scared <laughs> was when Rainbird came in and was following Vicky around the house. And she was yeah. throwing things off the wall and attempt to stop him. And you could kind of see the limitations of her power and where she she could kind of make things move, but she couldn't there was no like direction to it there was no she was just trying to throw as much as she could in his way to like stop him from killing her um and of course part of this comes from like knowing the story i thought she was going to get her fingernails pulled out one by one so i knew it was leading to something like mm -hmm. whoa you know what i mean I, I thought it was leading to something so i was very scared in that moment and then it kind of again led to nothing so yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a bummer but i did like that and i think you mentioned earlier the score during that moment was particularly it's great yeah cool yeah, score's great it's, yeah mm -hmm. jen what about you um i was i don't think i was particularly scared during this movie but the closest i think i came was that opening scene with the baby um just one a baby just catching on fire but two like that's like when you have a baby and you leave it alone that's one of the like i still kind of am afraid that maybe my kids haven't woken up because they're dead you mm -hmm. know and so just and they're like seven and nine but so just to think about coming back into the room and it being on fire and then just the implication like i really like that they leaned into how terrifying that would be just every minute of your life until she's old enough for you to reason with her you know which is something king talks about a lot in the book and i enjoyed them kind of putting that on the screen so yeah i think for me it's the vicky stuff i think that that whole sequence is just it's pretty great it, it did mm -hmm. remind me a little bit of like michael myers in a way the way that it was going through one one room to the next was the the fact that it was you know he was just going to get into the next room regardless of what she did even though she has powers mm -hmm. so um just thought that was probably the peak of the movie for me um and yeah nothing scared me though you know but it, it did it wasn't unnerving um because there's the an argument to be made that this is a sci-fi movie and not really horror mm. you know yeah. i mean the oh, only yeah. thing that really makes us call it horror is because stephen king wrote it and i mean there is body horror in this but you know i think the sci-fi elements are really strong in the story and i think that if they had it. split this movie into two and i totally understand why they didn't if you had a movie that led up to say i don't know the ranch house 
and then mm-hmm. the next movie from the ranch house to the end. I think that would work because all of showing what they had to go through to raise that child is interesting mm-hmm. to me. Like, I know yeah, it's not scary. I know it's not like super horror, but like, you know, in the book, they talk a lot about how they had a fire extinguisher in every room. And mm-hmm. what they don't tell you is that, or what you don't really get a sense of is that they're, they've been watched since the tests and since mm-hmm. the, the drug was administered. And they're mm-hmm. waiting to see what their powers can do. Like, they're not even 100% sure. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it, it's just interesting. It would be interesting, I think, to see them living their lives and taking care of this child and the ways that they had to adjust and how they had to move around. And I did like how they included Andy's job in this. Because Me too. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, especially like how that it, he yeah. was a life coach, but he was, like, making people quit smoking. And yeah, I thought that was But great. I liked that it wasn't him making people fat or not fat anymore because that's what it is yeah. in the book. And I was like, that's oh, a okay. smart change. Oh, also. Wait, King put that in a book? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, why didn't, maybe it was just anti-smoking. Why didn't they ever show Andy smoking? Because she had the lighter and she was like, you promised mm-hmm. you'd quit or something. Aren't you not allowed to smoke in movies anymore? <laughs> uh, that must have been the draconian monsters who run warning, Hollywood, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. weird to me, but anyways. Well, it's, it's cool because of the cost of smoking, Randall. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the cost. Well, it, it's probably because Zephron is still is uh, is already smoking. You know what I mean? Mm, um, I mean, yeah, so, he yeah. does. He does smolder. I'm actually looking at a picture of him right now because I opened uh, the IMDb page. And, so. Well, I'm looking at a place right now that uh, we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. All right. So, I mean, I I don't know if we're, I mean, in this section, we talk about all the Stephen King references. One of the things I actually appreciate this movie is that there didn't seem like there were that many. The only one I really saw was, um, or at least Sammy noticed was that, uh, I guess it's Joyland trash collectors. Um, (laughs) What a weird one. I know. Isn't that weird? I didn't even Um, notice that. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of dig on Joyland, (laughs) but I didn't see anything else. I mean, it would have been kind of cool if she went around the corner and maybe there was like, um, I don't know, like Cujo instead of a cat. (laughs) What if she like burned instead of a cat? She burned a Saint Bernard. You know, she could have. Yeah, yeah. And then a car like vroom vroomed up. Um, Okay, I caught two. One, she goes to Lewiston Elementary School, and they are Mm. living in Lewiston, which is a town in Cary. And um, this is a reference to Firestarter the book, so it's not really King Dominion, but. The Veterans Hospital is named Herman Pinchot, a hospital who is a character, one of the doctors in the book. He's the one that sticks his arm in the garbage disposal. And I think it was probably a smart choice not to put that in the story, but, um, you know, yeah. I liked that little nod. Did you guys see when the, all the doors opened and Jack Torrance ran out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was a classic scene, though. And it was really cool that they got, uh, you know, CGI Jack uh, Nicholson, yeah. uh, who just celebrated his 85th birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Jack. Jack. <laughs> No shit, yeah. I just watched It Chapter 2 yesterday, and I was remembering that there's a scene where somebody just yells, here's Johnny, at the Here? end. Oh, like, Lord. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ryan Kerr Armstrong, that, I guess that is, yeah. you mentioned it before, she is in It Chapter 2, uh, so that, that is the King's Dominion there, but... um. I don't know, not much. And again, mm-hmm. I like that. I don't. I don't need yeah. it to be like right. you know. Oh, uh, you know. I, what if, if like Wallace is like, wow, you know, cars a wheel. You know, we've fucking, had nineteen incidents. Oh, we've uh, had, uh, oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Uh, better go to Derry. Uh, well, and you the know, original I, story doesn't really have a lot of connections. You know? No, no. It's it's pretty. You know, it's in that period where you were, he was getting a lot of books that weren't 
that were kind of loosely connected. I mean, because like you think about Christine, and that's like takes place in another city. Yeah, I mean, it was early in his career, so he wasn't thinking about his yeah. multiverse yet. No. no. Like if like this was coming right after the dead zone, so they could have been like, oh god, we've had so many goddamn telekinetic. Uh, telekinetic <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, why don't we just give our final thoughts? Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. All right. Well. Jen, why don't you kick us off? Uh, and then and we're going to give it by, uh, eh, cl- we'll stick to the Pennywise clown noses. I was going to say we could do little flames, but. Could we do flaming that's... clown noses, maybe? Flaming clown Burning noses. Clown I like noses. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Go for it. Um, okay. So I'm really, really trying to separate my emotional connection to the story with my critical analysis of it because I do have some big issues with it, as we've talked about. But overwhelmingly, I've really enjoyed it. I was not bored at all. I was really excited, I think, to see. Um, this story that I just really love so much put on the screen. Um, It didn't break my heart by being awful. And I give it a lot of credit for that, which sounds like a really low bar, but you know, happens with a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Um, My head says to give it three and a half, but I think my heart says four, because I think the fact that they spend so much time doing the thing that I have been begging them to do with like just the emotional aspect of Charlie's powers and her connection with Vicky, you know, I want to give it a half extra half for that. So four flaming clown noses. Nice. Nice. Is that out of five? Out of five. Yeah. Four out of five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately I would give it two flaming clown noses out of five. And I went in with pretty low expectations, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe I would be pleasantly surprised if I would give the first 30 minutes of this movie legitimately five out of five flaming clown noses. Same. Mm-hmm. And then the second half gets zero. So it takes away. <laughs> so it averages out. It averages out to about two, two and a half flaming clown noses, unfortunately. That's fair. That's fair. That sounds fair. Yeah. 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 Randall. Uh, I'm going to keep it simple. So I think watching this movie is, I'm going to keep the sort of, uh, you know, nefarious government theme going. Uh, watching this movie is like reading a redacted document. You yes. know, it's like, yeah. there, oh, I feel like yeah. there's so much I'm missing. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. there's so much that is that is not there. And I'm watching these interesting character turns happen and these interesting plot beats happen, but I'm not seeing the connective tissue between them. And that's frustrating because I think there is a lot of talent in this movie, yeah. a lot of talent behind the camera, a lot of talent on camera. And unfortunately it just, it, it it's very much a grab bag for me. Uh, you know, there's some good stuff in there and, you know, uh, it's, it's me, it's mean in ways. I think that Mike and I were always saying we wish things were meaner. This mm. this movie goes there to some degree. It doesn't. It's not like thinner or something, which is a great little mean movie. But it's um, but you know it's uh, you know yeah I I think it's I think it's fine. Like it's perfectly fine to throw on. I think you know if you're just chilling at home and want something uh, low stakes and chill to watch. So I'm gonna give it two bright red Pennywise or uh, flaming Brady Pennywise clown noses uh, and uh, and say Zephron call me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and then call me. Well, his number is uh seven seven. I'm just joking. Seven 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 H O T T. Uh that's yeah. exactly exactly. Um I mean I'm not a huge fan of this book. I'm sorry, Jen, but I um <laughs> my expectations were really low, even despite the fact that I I liked Keith Thomas and I and John Carpenter was in the mix. But 
Um, I mean, the movie's too thin. It, it, there's, you know, like Randall was saying, there's like, there's a lot of love. I like the style, uh, Thomas's style in the beginning, especially um, the lived-in textures, the 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 slices of the score, that first half hour. But man, at 90 minutes, like it's just gasping, yeah, gasping for air the entire time, and and it's and it's it's actually too much of an an athletic watch. Like I found myself getting. I kept pausing it and like turning to Sammy was like, do you think they're going to be able to pull this off in 10 minutes? And you know, she just arrived at the <laughs> I know I shop. couldn't believe that. I was yeah. just like, this is crazy. Um, so I don't know. It's just a lot of it was what we've been discussing, perfunctory, piecemeal, yada, yada, yada. No shop when it's about the shop. So um, anyway, it's a shame. And what makes me think about that, what's really interesting in hindsight we're going to have to do an episode dedicated to this is just that, you know, when you look back at the King Renaissance, this was announced at the beginning of it. It obviously shattered those expectations by becoming the highest grossing horror movie of all time that year. It really sent us into overdrive, sent this podcast into overdrive. We really got excited, especially when you got the two hit punch of Gerald's game in 1922. And it's just been, I don't know. I mean, we'll, I'll save it for that episode because I think we really should do it. But this mm-hmm. is just really emblematic of just, where we've seen a lot of great talent and a lot of the tools that just continue to keep missing the mark. And I think there's a lot to discuss there in this King Renaissance. And I think this is part and, uh, and parcel of that. Well, um, you know what? So I, where I'm still waiting for a comeback. Yeah. You, know? you know what? Fire needs to grow. It does. Air. Uh, it needs some paper. Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, air. <laughs> needs air. Yeah. And this movie well, didn't have any. It yeah. didn't. It didn't. So, yeah, I'm going to give it uh, two. Two uh, bright red Pennywise claw noses. And, uh, and the promise that we'll have a King Renaissance discussion soon because I think it's important to talk about. We yeah. need to assess the – it's been five years. There's been a lot out there. Some mm-hmm. good – not some some may and this is this files in may, may but um probably a good one to do around salem's lot i think so uh, yeah. yeah i think mm-hmm. that because that's that's essentially like the big follow-up for warner brothers so i think that will be a good one to yeah. do it. but the anticipation for salem's lot is like through the fucking mm-hmm. roof too i know so it's gonna be interesting to see how that that levels out um you know when we get to it but uh well this has been fun before we go, uh, yeah. let's let's do some plugs. Um, Ashley, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, what's next? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my podcast, Keep It Weird. Um, you can find us on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Libsyn, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Um, you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Keep It Weirdcast. We're also on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> It's probably healthy to not next... be on Twitter all the time. Also. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Stay away from that. Um, we have actually coming up Next week, I'm going to be staying two nights at Limp Mansion. Ooh. Trying to talk to some ghosts. Nice. Um, I love it. We've done, Fred actually, this will be yeah, Fred Gerst. <laughs> Gerst. Who lives there now. Does he really? Um, oh, wow. no. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, hey. But we've actually done, this will be, I think, our fifth paranormal investigation. Um, at being someone who doesn't 100% believe in, in ghosts, it's kind of interesting to do, mm-hmm. especially when we get stuff mm-hmm. oh. um, on audio. So I'm really hoping that that's uh, gonna be a good episode to tune in for. You gotta come into a, a, a Souls Midnight episode with us because uh, we would love to talk about you know s- some ghosts and ghouls. Uh, oh, I got I've got plenty of stories nice. for you. For someone who doesn't fully believe in ghosts, I've had way too many experiences <laughs> with them. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm dying to hear them. I'm dying. To, that's one of my favorite things. Um, well, Ashley, 
loved having you here. We'll have you on again yeah, it soon. It was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Jen, what do you have going down at Psychoanalysis? Um, yeah, so you can also find me co-hosting Psychoanalysis, which is a horror mental health podcast. And Ashley, if you would ever care to join us Excuse for a comfort me? horror episode. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we are in the middle of our mother's theme. Um, we were started the month talking about bad mothers and we figured, you know, mothers have it bad enough right now. So we're just going to change it to mothers. <laughs> um, and we talked about Carrie in a two part episode, talked a lot about Margaret White. And then our follow up on that is on Goodnight Mommy, which whoo, is a lot, <laughs> a lot Tough to watch. Good movie. It Tough is. Movie. Yeah. And then we have a comfort horror episode dropping with Scott Woods, who did um, our discussion about Stephen King's Magical Negroes. That's dropping. I got to schedule it for tomorrow so Very it's cool. probably it's out the day before once you hear this and he chose angel heart to talk about which oh. i never heard of and i loved it so yeah everybody watch angel heart and then and actually we'll have to talk about you joining us for an episode oh absolutely i'm down very cool very good. Look, look look we make things happen here at the losers we do club. how about that you know it's, it's, it's magic in the air Friendships. You, know? you know what that's what the losers club is all about though. it is you know friendship yeah. it is and, uh, at and the, the end of this just get ready to friendship. you know we gotta slice our hands at the end and you know share blood and everything um and then god. we can all fuck oh god all right <laughs> like <in> the <laughs> wasn't gonna go there but uh anyway not until the theme up? song plays right yeah right exactly uh what do we got coming up we got uh well as part of our Dance Macabre series where we talk about the films and books that were formative for King himself, we have Peter Straub's Ghost Story coming up this oh. month, uh, which is going to be really exciting. Uh, we just talked about Black House last month, which was Peter Straub and um, King's second collaboration. So it's timely. And uh, we also have an, an episode that came out last week, uh, our interview with Stephen Graham Jones, the author of My Heart is a Chainsaw, The Only Good Indians, and many, many other very good books. Ashley, you had talked about this idea of... of of non-sympathetic characters. That's something we actually talk with him about quite a bit uh, because My Heart is a Chainsaw has like, is is brilliant by and large because how repellent its main character mm -hmm. is. Um, and, but also very vulnerable and interesting. It's really mm -hmm. good stuff. So uh, check out that interview if you haven't yet. And um, uh, we have, oh, Rose Red. Holy shit. Yeah. Rose Red. Going down this month. I'm yep. so excited to talk about Rose Red, uh, the 2002 miniseries uh, starring Nancy Travis. I have a question. I've always thought Nancy Travis was a singer. Was she ever a singer? I don't know. I, I think I, I mixed think her up. So. I think she just has a country feel to her. Yeah, I know? think I always confused her with Reba. Or yeah. Nancy Wilson. Or, maybe. Or no, well, there's maybe Randy Reba. Travis, which could be who you're oh, thinking. I think it was like Randy and Reba came in my head to form Nancy. <laughs> yeah. So, as far uh, as I know, she is not a country singer, although I will investigate because... Is she know. an axe murderer? But, uh, oh, yeah. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm so excited to talk about Rose Red. Jen, I know you're on that episode. Yes. Uh, it's I'm such excited. a strange little curio in the King mm -hmm. canon. Um, and then we... Uh, we got Mike, some stuff. Yeah, we got Talking Hawkins. Oh, yeah, we got our next Stranger Things episode. Of Stranger Things, which is going to be great because season four drops this month. Um, and, uh, Ashley, we got to have you on this episode. I feel like we were going to be doing haunted houses for, uh, for souls midnight. So, hey. um, you know, in honor of ghost story, which has, uh, many haunted houses and, uh, also rose red. So, uh, lots of stuff. Yeah. It never ends. And yeah. we got a really our special next, month. And our next book after ghost stories, everything's eventual, right? Yes. Yes. So we're yes. going to be doing that in July. Yeah. June, we're taking a month off books cause it's blockbuster month. Yeah, yeah it is blockbuster month. Might as well just announce it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it might as well. Yeah. Cause we are talking about a blockbuster here. Am I right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to be, we're going to be dedicating the main feed 
uh, to uh, blockbusters that we've talked in the past. We're unlocking a lot of our great episodes uh, that we've done. Um, so stick, stay tuned, stick tuned, stay stick tuned <laughs> to our socials and uh, you'll see what those titles are going to be and what episodes we're going to unlock. But rest assured, we're going to be having a lot of new content still in the Patreon and the Barons. So become a member of five, $10, get in there. It's hundreds of hours and commentaries and spinoff series of the dark tower and Stephen King's yeah. archives and interviews. There's so much shit in there that I don't even remember sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> become a member www.patreon.com slash the barons. So many good things, but don't go away right now because we've got a 30 minute chat with Keith Thomas coming up just after the jump. We're going to be talking about Carpenter. We're going to talk about stranger things. We're going to talk a little bit about the body horror that we discussed on this episode. I think it's a good one. I hope you do too. Uh, before that though, we have a very special message about another King adaptation that needs your help. So stick around for all that and we'll see you next week. And until then, long days. And pleasant, and pleasant nights. nights. Greetings, constant listeners. It's Jen here with some exciting news. The official crowdfund campaign for Stephen King's All That You Love Will Be Carried Away, starring John Ennis from Mr. Show with Bob and David, David Fincher's Zodiac, and David Lynch's Twin Peaks The Return, is officially live on Seed and Spark. We love to support indie films, especially Stephen King projects. This adaptation of All That You Love Will Be Carried Away is directed by Bolin Miller. Bolin recently helmed an adaptation of Stephen King's Grey Matter and also produced Julia Marchese's adaptation of Stephen King's I Know What You Need. Guys, there are some great incentives available on the All That You Love Will Be Carried Away Seed and Spark campaign page, including a link to instantly watch Bolin Miller's adaptation of Grey Matter. If you want to get involved in this killer Stephen King project, then check out the campaign on Seed and Spark today. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, first off, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, big, of course. Big, big fan. Uh, love the vigil so much. Was, uh, oh, thank you. Not just blowing smoke up your ass. I thought it was just, <laughs> just blew me away last year. And I uh, I come from a Jewish family, so uh, it definitely had a lot of questions I asked my, my folks <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Um, nice. But I'm sure you've got this question a million times, but I got to ask it. How'd you get involved with Firestarter? Yeah. So Firestarter. So it was the vigil. Honestly, it was after the vigil's premiere at Toronto, Blumhouse had seen the vigil. Mm-hmm. And so I had a meeting with Jason uh, and Cooper over at Blumhouse. And, um, you know, we just were batting around ideas and talking about what I had about this and things they had lying around there and stuff they were developing and kind of in the middle of the meeting Jason had to take a call he stepped out and when he reappeared with a dramatic flourish (laughs) he kind of came into the room and he said Keith I know what you should do next you should do Firestarter and so Uh that's kind of how it happened yeah um and on my trip back home I had read the script by Scott teams. Um, and I, I, I liked it quite a lot and I knew what I, I could see it and I could see how I could do it. So it, it, that's how it, that's how it came to me. But interestingly enough, I was at the overlook film festival. Oh my gosh. The inaugural <laughs> one in 2017 at the, at Mount hood. Yeah. Um, 
And I was there when Jason and Akiva announced that they were going to do a new adaptation of Firestarter. I was just like in the third row and I was just a fan. I hadn't, I hadn't made my, my first film, my short film yet. And I, you know, I was just kind of just hanging out there and it was really surreal when uh, Jason came in and offered it to me to think, man, I've been thinking about this for five years and yeah. I'm a guy to make it so weird. <laughs> Uh, what what is uh, your relationship to Stephen King? Had you read his work a lot? Is, was Firestarter one of the novels that you know that, that maybe like kind of made an imprint on you uh, growing up? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got into horror fiction um, first before horror film, and uh, that was probably some of the earliest stuff I read between the time I was ten and twelve. Um, I was reading a lot of horror short fiction, so I started with Stephen King's horror short fiction, which I still I think have. A soft spot for yeah the skeleton crew and um so I, I started there and then the first one of the first king novels if it wasn't the first was firestarter yeah so you know it was one that i liked as a kid i think i could identify to a certain extent with charlie and her kind of chaotic family and so it was just one that that i that i'd liked from from the get-go and one of the first i read well, it's like such a curious follow up too, because, you know, The Vigil is such a claustrophobic, mm. intimate movie and Firestarter is almost a road trip flick if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. So I wondered, like, did you kind of just, I mean, did it feel good to stretch your legs a little bit after this? And I mean, maybe even after COVID being in lockdown to be like, all right, well, now I get to be out in the open and <laughs> on these real yeah. locations. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely, you know, it was a combination it was both an opportunity, right, to kind of have a lot of different locations, you know, more actors and a bigger cast um, and kind of have that bigger scope. But at the end of the day, a lot of it felt similar in that it was, you know, very much about people struggling together in confined spaces. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of road journeying to houses or to other spaces in which kind of you know, these things happen. Um, so it was, it, it was, it was nice, right. To have a bigger scope, but at the end of the day, it felt in terms of the making of it felt similar. Well, it's like, you know, it's such a large scale production and, you know, with fire, mm. it, there's so much risk involved. Was it a little intimidating, you know, to pivoting to something like this, uh, right. Yeah. After the middle? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was definitely, so the, the, the two intimidating things were, you know, once when I read the script and reread the book and started getting into development, it took that long until, you know, six months into it that I realized, wait a second, I am making a Stephen King thing here. And it's and there's an audience and expectation that comes with that. Yeah. That is pretty heavy that I couldn't let influence me too much in terms of, oh, no, what are they going to think of this? And what are they going to think of that? And so that was a big sort of expectation. But then right on the, the other side of it is we tried to do as much practically as possible. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy, you know, in the fact that 90, more than 97% of it is all in camera practical stuff, in particular, the fire. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of that, it was just a lot of careful planning and, you know, storyboarding and, right, just figuring all this stuff out because of my my ultimate concern obviously is safety totally uh, yeah. is the priority but you want it 
it's a trick fire's tricky right you, you it's got to be as safe as possible but you want it to look as though it was dangerous yeah so that's the that's the that's the trick with it well, I know, I mean, not to pivot too much on a, another Stephen King property, but we had, uh, we actually just did a deep dive on the dead zone and doing mm. a lot of research on that. You know, I, that one scene where Johnny wakes up and there's just fire all over the room yeah. that, you know, reading into that, I, I know that that was a really hard scene for them to do, especially practically. And they required all these like kind of trick, you know, photography and, <laughs> and sets mirrors. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to do any of that going for, mm-hmm. for any of these scenes? Like what, what sequence in particular, like really stood out as being like, how the fuck are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the big the big one, which is in the trailer, which people have probably seen, is when Vicky's arms catch fire. Yeah. Um, for me, that was always a big one in that I, I had always felt that the 1984 adaptation, you know, didn't quite go as far as it could have. I mean, those were oven mitts on fire. Like, I, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, her arms are supposed to burn. That's the goal. So, you know, you have two ways of doing it. There's a stunt actor who can be set on fire. Um, and then there's lighting your cast member on fire. <laughs> and so I had had meetings with Sydney um, early on in pre-production. I said, you know, if you're game, it would be amazing if we could light you on fire because, you know, <laughs> we can have you on screen. I don't have to do ridiculous head replacements or something in post. You know, like let's. and she at first, I think she was very cautious about it. Um, and she was like, I don't know, I don't know about this, but then she met up with our stunt coordinator and, and you know, she and Daryl kind of walked through the process and, and how they do. And he showed her how very safe it is. And it helped that Zach had also done this before. Um, and so she did some test runs. It looked great. And she was on, on fire for five or six seconds in those. And then, uh, when it came to time to do it on set. Uh, we had everything in place, everything safe. It also involved Zach kind of running in with a blanket. So it was two actors and it was a little tricky. But uh, I think I think Sydney did the arm burn four, five, four or five times. Jesus. Um, those flames got pretty high on, on her. And uh, I think she, the longest she went was eight seconds with them. And it was uh, it was impressive. It was yeah. impressive. It was, but again, a lot of preparation to get to that place. But I'm really proud of kind of how it turned out because you know she literally is on fire yeah i mean it's definitely one of the most intense scenes in the movie i mean i yeah. just body horror with i think <laughs> i think that's one of the things that people underestimate with when fire is involved is just how much body mm-hmm. horror is involved and i think you really go there in a lot of instances in this film um yeah then you- that was an important thing to me because you know fire it's very old effect probably mm-hmm. the oldest special effect known to mankind and i think when we think of fire we're so used to seeing a stunt person go up in flames and then fall down onto the ground and then we cut away right we cut away and that's it yeah whereas i was more interested in the after effects like if you had this power and you're heating up rooms and causing all this stuff and then causing someone to burn like what would that you know being on fire is horrible in those few seconds, but there's seconds. Yeah. Like there's months and years of recovery afterward. Like, what does that look like? And so, so yeah, in the case of Vicky and her arms, in the case of the agent Jules in the car, um, <laughs> I was very, and the cat, I was very interested in what, what happens when the flames go out. 
Yeah. And it's so mean. I mean, that's the thing I love about it. And I, I think that, did you have to kind of ever scale back and be like, all right, we're going a little too far with this? Because I mean, there's parts of it in the movie where I was genuinely shocked, especially nowadays, because I, I feel yeah. like I feel like a lot of horror, you know, no shade to, to the genre, but I feel like a lot of times it's it's not as mean, you know, like I feel like yeah. we, they don't they kind of pull the punch in sometimes. Was there points where you kind of had to scale back a little bit? I mean, especially when, you, you know, the animal thing, I think there's, I mean, there's some people that love horror so much. And when the animal gets right. involved, they're like, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's definitely right. I wanted them to have teeth. You know, there's those, there are not a lot of moments of it. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely a thing where, sure, I, you know, imagine there could be a version where it just goes all full Cronenberg and just <laughs> bonkers, which I would love. Um, but I felt like, okay, we have these three or four sequences yeah. in which this stuff is happening. I want it to hit as hard as it can and feel as realistic. You know, so for me in meeting, when I, we first met with the special effects teams and the folks who are designing the prosthetics and coming up with a look at these things, um, since I come from a healthcare background and you know, I, I, I both wanted to be as realistic as possible mm-hmm. um, without pushing it too far and people can't stomach it. So, so it was a trick of, yes, so for example, with Vicky's arms, right, we see what happens after those arms are on fire and what that looks like. And I'll tell you the first, you know, the, we shot a lot of footage around that. Yeah. Um, and, and poor Sydney went through quite an emotional roller coaster of her reactions and zach did a full dressing of those wounds you know with this cream and the saran wrap and you know touching all over it and it was it's so painful and so horrible to watch that it you know it was definitely one of those things where you have that footage you've got that and then he's just picking and choosing like just hit some moments just so people get a sense of it without just completely overwhelming them but but yeah i want if you're gonna see it i wanted you to see something that you thought oh ouch that that hurt that's like i did not expect it to be as realistic as that oh absolutely yeah i mean it's definitely visceral um you know and also that kind of goes part and parcel with just the the feel and aesthetic of the film i feel like i mean Mm. one of the things i really loved about this this production is that everything kind of feels really lived in Mm. um you know i i think Again, not to shade to the Marvel movies, but there's just not a lot of lived-in atmosphere I get with a yeah. lot of blockbusters anymore. And I wondered, you know, how important was it for you to have settings that looked real, that looked like, you know, we're actually in these places that they've been at for a while, that they're part. These are, you know, portraits of America that we're seeing. Um, you know, was that was that really important for you to like be able to shoot on location, like in actual real places? Yeah, it was huge. And I think it's just, that's just in my nature. And weirdly enough on the director commentary for Firestarter for the the Blu-ray and 4K that'll be coming out eventually. um, I just went on this huge tangent about about this, this very thing. You know, both it's an aesthetic choice, but also for me, uh, you know, the, so in, in Firestarter, we got the McGee house. Yeah. And that's a real house in Toronto, in uh, Hamilton, where we filmed. And we rebuilt the house, the interior on a stage, almost down to the inch. Wow. And the trick to that is, of course, when, you, when you're when you on a location like that or build a house with 
hard ceilings and hard floors and not flyable walls, you get limited in terms of your camera movement and in terms of your lighting. And for me, that's really important because I want the space to feel right, lived in and realistic. I, it kills me when I see a, an episode of a TV show or a film where you've got a middle-class family, a supposedly middle-class family living in this giant apartment. I know. Where you've ridiculous. got a kitchen that's 50 <laughs> by 50 feet with 30 foot ceilings. And the whole reason it looks like that, it could be aesthetic, but most of the time it's because they want to put a you know techno crane into that space because they want to spin the camera around and they need to be able to fly all the walls and they need all that space. And it just, I don't buy it for a minute. It feels very artificial to me. And because, you know, and sometimes you're telling a story that is going to be dreamlike and more artificial. But for me, I wanted this to feel as grounded and realistic as possible. And so, you know, even though I think at first Kareem, the DP, might have complained like, oh, man, how am I going to fit my gear in this hallway? <laughs> um, that was the thing that was like, you have to take an almost indie approach, even though we're on a set. Uh, to shoot in there because I wanted it to feel like a realistic middle-class family's house. And, and that came with, you know, dim lighting over there, or, you know, you know, uh, yeah. junky furniture here or some hand-me-down stuff there and just stuff that felt right. Very lived in and realistic. Were you, would you say that you were leaning a little bit on, you know, cause the, the vigil you're, you, what's so amazing about that film is that, there's so much going on within this tight space. Do mm -hmm. you feel like that experience helped you with a lot of these kind of closer, you know, these closer spaces? Because I mean, you know, when Raybird comes in and attacks Vicky, I mean, it's just in that house, but yet it feels <laughs> right. like it, it has like a there's a level to it. You know, there's multiple levels to it. Um, I just wonder yeah. if that use of space kind of came in handy here. No, a hundred percent. And uh, it's it, you know. It, I both loved it and hated it. I mean, it's funny whenever I watch the vigil, and I'm sure it'll be the same once I, I'm so used to seeing Firestarter in the post-production mindset. <laughs> yeah. But, but once, once I'm starting to see it outside of that, you know, watching when you're filming in a situation like that, it's hard not to think of all the crew members behind every single wall. <laughs> yeah. All there, there's nowhere for them to go. And so though, that can be both frustrating in, in terms of like, oh man, this is really tight and how are we going to swing it? But it's also the challenges of it open you up to a certain extent in terms, you have to get creative. And I feel like, so in, in the McGee house and Firestarter, most of it was shot with Steadicam and, uh, you know, you just get some really interesting stuff when you're doing Steadicam in tight spaces. I mean, obviously the shining is a, Oh yeah. Wonderful example true. of, you know, the probably epic example of steady cam work, but but I, I love the challenge of that and kind of what you're forced to do. And and so weirdly enough, it's just become a a thing I just I I, I like as a filmmaker is to create those those tighter spaces and and shoot in those. Totally. I mean and early, you know, you're talking about expectations and um, you know, one of the, the things that's frustrating for us is, you know, we're at a point where art is imitating art and I've already seen so much. I mean, we just shared on our socials last week where someone was online was like, you know, Hey, this fire started looks a lot like stranger things. And it's just like, you know, and we were laughing and, but in, in a way it makes sense. Cause you know, there's so many sure. different ways to have gateways, you know, with stranger things on the mind at all going into this production and, and maybe something as like, all right, let's not let's try to lean away from aesthetics that would be even similar to that, you know, something that, you know, was there a discussion at hand with that? Cause it, you know, there is, 
I mean, in, in the sense, the Stranger Things is just basically Firestarter re, retell <laughs> through you know, an 80s lens and all. But um, was that ever something that came up? You know, to a certain extent. I, you know, my DP and I d- discussed it a bunch. Uh, there's a Korean film called The Witch, um, which is also basically Firestarter. Yeah. Um, that was just a few years ago, which I, I quite enjoy. But, um, but yes, a Firestarter from its initial publication has influenced culture in a lot of ways that I think people don't realize like it it went straight into comic books the new mutants and x-men all these sorts of comics with people with powers a lot of it feels like it comes from Firestarter it comes from the sort of Steve what Stephen King did was he mashed up the MK Ultra experiments by the CIA the black ops experiments with this idea of telekinetic powers or pyrokinetic powers and then we've seen that you know, in Logan, it's in just so many things that it, it that it's become, I think, and, and then eventually Stranger Things built a whole series on it, that I think people are very familiar with kind of the tropes of it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, it's always, I, I, anytime you're dealing with powers, it's, you, I, it's, it's tough to kind of break away from what you're used to seeing and i knew from the beginning that i didn't want to see charlie put her hands up and create or charlie you know throw this or that it all had to be mental yeah um and so it was kind of the approach i think for us was really not necessarily how do you do the opposite of stranger things but but how do you take the same sort of material this original Stephen King material and make it feel realistic on a very grounded level you know this is what happens if somebody has pyrokinesis this is what it looks like this is what this is what it feels like um the same with Andy's push power and how that would manifest and so it was more a sort of like I wanted to do the less operatic uh more kitchen sink version I like that. Yeah. Cause it certainly feels far more grounded. I mean, like you feel the pain, you know, especially, you know, when Andy <laughs> is doing the pushes, you know, the, the head and the blood. And right. I mean, I imagine there were a lot of discussions and just the, the variations between, you know, those powers. And I think that that definitely comes mm. across. Um, mm. I, I did want to ask is, you know, in addition to Stephen King, there's another master of horror. And I think that the, that was a huge surprise when the, the, the initial trailer dropped was John Carpenter. Right. And that was kind of off of everyone's radar. Like we didn't really know mm-hmm. about that. And it was kind of a total left hook. And it's, you know, it was, it definitely it was, it was a really cool homage in the sense that, you know, who was originally attached to originally you know, right. in the 80s. How, at what point did you know he was going to be involved? Was this always from the get-go or is this something that came like, you know, last quarter or something? You know, it was a wish. So at the very beginning, when we started development, I had made a list of composers. Um, Carpenter was on there. Oh, nice. And he kind of had floated it, especially because Blumhouse had worked with him, obviously, with the Halloween yeah. trilogy. And so I knew they had the relationship. And I thought, you know what? Let's try this. And I think the first reaction was, I'm not going to happen. Right? <laughs> like that's, <laughs> and, and I totally was like, yeah, I realize this is probably not going to happen, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, and it really wasn't until we were deep into production that Ryan Turek kind of pulled, who was there on set every day, kind of pulled me aside and I was like, Keith, let's talk real quick. And I was like, okay, what's up? And he said, uh, I think Carpenter's in. 
and it was just you know for me it was very much like a scanner's head explosion moment <laughs> of, like you gotta be kidding me um and then it only got more surreal when i talked to him the next weekend oh my god and uh yeah so it's just it's you know it was one of those you know I don't know if you've talked to Carpenter before, but he's a super straight shooter, right? Oh, he's yes. a no nonsense, yeah. you know, roll up your sleeves kind of filmmaker, composer guy. And so he was like, he was like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? Like, what's this? What's this? What are you doing with Firestarter? I kind of described it to him. He said, okay, what type of music do you want? And I was like, you know, dark, percussive, rhythmic. He's like, what movie are you thinking of? And I was like, Christine. And he's like, perfect, beautiful. I can do that. Uh, he's like, you want me to score the whole thing from beginning to end? I was like, yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Oh my God, I know. So it was one of those really insane moments. And then, uh, you know, it only got better from there in terms of being able to, you know, while we were in post, I was actually, while we were initial stages editing and, and scoring, I was still in Toronto on production on this Guillermo del Toro thing that I did afterwards. And so I, I, I had this incredible surreal month where I was doing post-production on a Stephen King film with John Carpenter and during the week doing production with Guillermo on this show Jesus. and so it was like oh my god how do you how do you step into these shoes it's crazy but you know those weekends with Carpenter and Cody and Daniel you know they were just right a dream come true not just because here I am working with the master but because of what he was doing and yeah. the, the, the stuff he was making and it just elevated the film just so much and it was you know everything i could hope for yeah and i i wondered about that because i you know he does have a tone and i mm. and i and watching it and wondering if it did change the approach to the film at all you know because i mm. one of the things i noticed is you know i love the intro with uh, uh you know the analog approach with all the different oh, yeah. footage and the, the even the font choices mm -hmm. it felt so in sync and I wondered if that was like a if that came into fruition a lot because of Carpenter's involvement because it yes. did seem like very there was a marriage there you know yeah once we once we knew that Carpenter was in then Tim my editor and I once we started doing our initial rough cut there was a lot of Carpenter score being tempted in and that was kind of guiding a lot of the editing in terms of the feel and the the you know the the beats but I would also say that the Carpenter influence you know goes further in that i'm i've always been a sort of dark electronic music guy and Same. so the tangerine dream carpenter sort of stuff was was playing on set it was just it was always kind of a, a piece of the, the 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 atmosphere there and so once we but once we shot the film and once we were into the editing and into post production Right, it became even more tangible at that point where it, you need to feel as cohesive as possible. And it definitely was a big piece in the title sequence, the, the kind of lot six sequence. Yeah, love um, it. In terms of, right, how that, how that manifests, it was very much a handshake with Carpenter's score there. Yeah, if you had a, all right, I'm gonna put you on the spot for just a second. De <laughs> Desert Island Carpenter, what's oh your go-to? Yeah, you have one, I'll give you, if you wanna say three films that you could take with you, what are the three Carpenters that you would you'd, uh, you'd take to the island? You know, I, I definitely, Christine. Yeah, love Christine, um, yeah. Underrated too, I feel like- Underrated, it, Yeah. really underrated. Yeah. And it's got, it's just got so much great stuff in it. And the, the sequence that I spoke to Carpenter 
when we were talking about the score initially was uh when the car is on fire coming down the road mm-hmm. like the score that's happening in there is just there's kind of this it's just it's just perfect so so that's definitely one i mean you know it's not a score per se but like lost themes um it's great probably the first one yeah the, the um, was it vortex i think it's the opening track it's just unreal. yeah it's unreal. Uh, yeah unbelievable yeah. just unbelievable and then then probably just and then halloween yeah you know go with the go with the classic it's so varied too. I mean, it, 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 people forget how many different tones he has on that soundtrack. I mean, it's there's yes. and it's so minimal. I love it. But um, yeah, the minimalism is amazing, and I think people all, right they they think of the metronome sort of thing that he does, mm-hmm. looking in the percussive, but he does a lot of piano. Obviously, yeah. a lot of piano that I don't think people automatically go to, which is a huge part of kind of what he does. And then the thing that he did with Firestarter that I really loved. Um, was a lot of very deep bass rumbling stuff it's really interesting when you can tease it apart from the sound design there's a lot of stuff that you might assume is sound design is actually carpenter uh doing some really funky drone stuff um that's deep in the background yeah, he's like, he's gotten a lot angrier with his scores. <laughs> like <laughs> I just it's definitely gotten more muscular. Um, <laughs> so I have one last question. So I, I you know, hmm. I'm I'm obsessed with this right now because, and I think a lot of people are in the industry, just that you know, outside of superhero films, hmm. horror and thrillers are are easily the most productive genre in Hollywood. And I'm asking you just because you know you, the, what I what I was so blown away with with the vigil last year is just how original it was. You know, and and I think that's really important, especially, you know, this day and age where people get histrionic and stuff when they're saying, oh, there's no original stories anymore. There's no stories, but they are getting harder to tell. And I think horror certainly allows a platform to to tell those stories above some of the other genres out there, popularity or not. I want to ask you, though, do you still think IP is a really important skeleton key? even mm. within horror, you know, like, f- like, for example, like Stephen King, for instance, you know, like, do you think that to get things made today, like you do still need to have like that, that big name um, that's kind of attached to it? Or do you, do you think that horror is, is, is still like this hotbed where you can come in with a hook, come in, come in with an original story and kind of have an upper hand over maybe someone that comes in with an original story for action or comedy? Yeah. I, you know, weirdly enough, I think it's both. Um, I do think that that genreized horror is definitely the one where you can have a, a very original take or original lens you're looking through or direction um, and get that to stick or get that to work more so than a lot of the other genres, but particularly right now. Uh, um, it, it's harder to get romantic comedies up and running or you know action films. It's both there's oversaturation that's happened. Yeah. But there's all this inbuilt audience for horror that, uh, you know, that has been there and keeps coming, keeps showing up. Um, and that it's exciting that you can write, you can push the boundaries. And I, but I think there's also a hunger for that. Um, and certainly we found with the vigil was that there was an interest and a hunger in seeing uh, a different culture, different kind of lens through which to view the sort of possession movie or the sort of ghost haunted house movie. Um, and I and I love I love that there's that that audiences are eager for that. At the same time, um, for bigger films, um, the IP is very important. 
still. Um, and it's what's interesting to me is, you know, I, I'm always hopeful that we can create new IP um, that can have the sort of franchise longevity and power in terms of both muscle in terms of numbers, um, but also just audience um, with, with kind of with, with new stuff in terms of, right, adapting new books yeah. or finding kind of new areas to explore. But, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a twofold thing. I think definitely in the indie space uh, in horror, the most, it's the wild west, very exciting times. People can kind of bring all sorts of new things to the table. And there's, in most cases, there's an audience eager to see it. Um, once you start getting, you know, a little larger and you start working with studio stuff, IP still remains king uh, and is very helpful. King, you know, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, I think so far, I, I'm a horror guy. That's kind of all I make. And that's probably all I will make. That's every project on the horizon for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will continue, that I will be able to, as a filmmaker, both be able to do original stuff that I write, that it comes from whatever perspective feels fresh to me, and then also work on projects that involve IP, um, and hopefully IP that people maybe aren't as familiar with. Well, the feeling is mutual. Uh, I, I hope to I hope you're stick on both of those lanes for sure. Yeah. Uh, Keith. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, and, of course. Um, really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm just totally jazzed to see what you do next. So yeah. Um, good luck you. with everything. <laughs> thanks so much. Have a good one. <laughs> yep. Take it easy. This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>